Welcome to episode 31 of It's Server Time. This is the major, post-major edition, and today, as you will notice, there is no Josh Mix. He's feeling under the weather, so send your prayers, hearts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Give us more Patreon money, as a matter of fact. That'll make him feel better. Those are, that's my command to all of you viewers out there. Just send us more money, um, and we can send him medical supplies. Just kidding. He'll just... Spend it on going to a wrestling trip or whatever Josh does for fun. So, but we got Mahone, special guest. Recently, you may have seen him at the Blast Showdown where he was doing some excellent breakdowns of some of the intricacies of the plays of some of the teams there. Uh, first of all, thank you, Mahone, for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's, uh, I remember there was a time before where no asked me, but I didn't have time. So excited to finally be on now. Okay, okay. Is the wait, by the way, is the static thing kinda happening for me or is that is that just oh, there for me? You guys, too. Yeah. Okay. You got like um, an interference or something? We should have done an we should have done an audio check here. Yeah. Well we did one. Well didn't really do one formally, <laughs> but it was yeah, it okay, sounds fine. What, now, what is the interference exactly? Oh I feel like if you just unplug your mic and plug it back in, it'll sound better, honestly. I've kinda heard this before from people's mics. Let's see. Okay. Check check one, two. Try try your best. Should we like restart the... the whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> this is all still part we of the could, actually. It, can you actually just cut this in post? Yeah. Actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then we're fine. They'll be fine. Uh, this is the exclusive insight. Yeah, this is why you guys watch live. Yeah. This is why you guys tune in for the live product. Um, hello, hello, you... hello, hello. Is that better? Not uh, still there. Mm. Yeah, not not really. Unfortunately, I wonder what that is. That's yeah. usually like a cord is next to another cord or something. But he's looks like yeah, he's that filled. might be the case. <laughs> I can't really fix that right now. Then if that's uh... well, it sounds um, fine when you're not speaking directly into it. That's really weird. Yeah, I was gonna say. So should I just be like a little bit further back then? Actually, I, I think that. I think when you are farther back, it sounds better. Yeah, it's almost like it's okay. peaking, but it's like peaking at a very low volume for some reason. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If well, I, okay. If I do this. <laughs> is this better at all? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually better. It actually, yeah, it is. I don't know why that would be a thing, but yeah. yeah. You'll probably have yeah. to lower the threshold in Discord voice activation so we hear everything. Um, but otherwise, it should be fine. I can well. I can always boost it in the audio afterwards. So. We're good. Okay, I lowered it just a little bit. Is this better now? Um, kind of went back to being kind of scratchy. <laughs> this is unlucky. Okay, I'm not. I'm not doing anything with Discord then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I think uh, it. I think it should work. It should be fine. There's okay. also some things I can do to clean it up after the fact in in post. So. All right. Well, let's. Okay. All right. Let's get into it. Let's get it. Let's just. Let's just go for it. Let's just go. If it's too much of an issue. <laughs> it'll just be like know. it'll just be like even... episode you recorded with your webcam mic. Yeah. It, well, that one, yeah, really at least that bad. Uh, uh, no, it it's, it's not like it... it's just it's just like crackling a little bit when you talk. Yeah, okay. So like how about this? How about Mahone try to Okay, how about this? Let's just get Mahone for specific stuff and if it's too bad, then we're just going to Mahone you're just going to leave for like some others <laughs> or leave halfway through, okay? <laughs> Honest. Like I don't I don't cuz it is it is kind of like tilting me just just enough, but like I want to hear your thoughts on a couple specific things about this tournament, about the major, okay? Okay. 
Um, okay, well, Alex, Alex is like, hey, thanks for coming on last minute. Get the fuck. <laughs> well, we, I think we just should have done a more thorough audio test now because it is it is kind of like this is our audio test. What do you mean? It's fine. Okay, it's kind of crackly. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, can we can we let's talk let's talk about this. Let's see let's see how it goes, and then if it's if it's better, then we'll just keep you on. If not, then we'll figure something. Then fuck. It. Then fuck it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's just, yeah, it's just like a lot. Um, okay, the first thing that I just want to talk to you about is the question about NIP, because you obviously have a lot of experience working with that team. I want to know, in your eyes, how legit their run was at this event, where they made top eight. They almost took down FaZe. It felt to me like they had the best chance of yeah. beating, of taking FaZe out of the tournament. What did, what did NIP, how did they strike you? I think in general, I think just men mentally and just like seeing them play in an arena again, they just look a lot better than they used to. Like there wasn't really necessarily an improvement placement wise, but just the way that they were playing, it just felt like there's a lot more confidence coming behind them this time. And this is something that we struggled with before, like when we played the, the Stockholm Major and also Blast, it was just like the arena pressure got to us in some way. We weren't doing the same things that we did and practice and stuff like that. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that I saw this time around. Okay. Okay. I think that their arena stuff looked really good until the final half of map three. Yeah, exactly. Think, yeah. 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 They started very well. Uh, I think every, I think actually they, yeah, overall they played incredibly well. And I think that uh, the main complaint, and I made this quite public on the desk that I think they, that for me is just that S is not like really, a top opper. Um, he's still slotted in decently against certain teams, but you could see some of his limitations. And I think, well, the thing is in the final half of Inferno on CT side, like everyone kind of collapsed. It wasn't just him. It was like multiple people that were having difficulties. So, uh, yeah, I think that I think, well, okay. How about note, note and Pernogo? What'd you guys think of NIP at this, at this whole run? I mean, I think to Asetek's credit, he had a pretty good group stage. Um, yeah. I was actually surprised I didn't think he'd play as well as he did, given the fact that he was coming into this tournament in an entirely different role. Um, but yeah, I think when I talked to GG DJL, he was basically saying that they could not handle the pressure of playing on stage at all. Yeah. Like they're they're so inexperienced um, outside of like Hampus and Res, basically, and Plopsky. But like in in general, like the team have never played on a major like playoff stage. Uh, Brolin was fresh, literally never made the playoffs before, and they they just haven't played those deep events long enough for them to like actually sustainably beat teams there. And he just said directly, he's like, "Yeah, we like our mentality crumbled the second we got on stage. Basically, like they lost rounds that they should not have. Like the number of advantages they had on Inferno that they just dropped because of." crumbling yeah. under pressure was absurd so they could have taken that map they just they couldn't make it over the line so it's like one of those compounding things right i mean when they lost that 2v5 against phase clan like that must have really been one of the nails in the coffin where they like it's on stage it magnifies everything like 100x it feels like if you're not like ready to receive that kind of energy from the crowd where you like it feels like an entire stadium is cheering for you guys throwing like a massive lead and even even just one round it can like tilt you for the rest of the game i'm not i'm not sure if that's exactly what happened but it feels like it was a contributing factor and i will say that about asatag it feels like 
Well, about the whole team, really, the fact that this team was able to put up such a showing and take us to three maps against the world number one and eventual major winners, and, like, like it kind of makes you feel like maybe if the major playoffs also had a double a limb, this team would have gotten farther and maybe would have made it up to, like, top four at the end of the day or something. You know, like, they felt like a really promising squad. And the fact that they did it all while the cloud of device is hanging over this whole squad and there's been, like, no org comment or whatever, like, that, that is impressive even if you don't, like, rate this team because of the fact that device isn't in it or something, regardless of, regardless of how you feel about that situation, that it's impressive that they were able to put that to one side and then give it like, leave it all on the server, so to speak up until that last half of that last map, as we already referenced earlier. But like, for the most part, I thought this was a very competent showing the fact that they come back and take it to a third map went like, it would be one thing if they got the early momentum and they defeated phase on Inferno, but no, they, they won on overpass. They won on their own map pick. And that's like, actually impressive that they were able to recover after the crushing defeats of like losing the 2v5 on Inverno and stuff like that. So I, I think, you know, you got to tip your hat to them in, in that sense. Okay. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to add to that Mahone? Yeah, I think just in general, um, like the whole device situation, I think everybody's been talking about it at this point. Honestly, I don't think even the players know like what is actually happening. Um, so I mean, this, this this was always the case even back when we had the Academy players as well. It's just like, this is going to be the lineup for now. And the players generally do a good job of just going with what they have. And I think one of the biggest things that Hampus has also brought up, and I also agree with as well, is that I think NIP really what they need is just some time to actually play as a roster for more than three months. Because every single iteration, like over last year and especially now too, they haven't had more than three months. And I think if you want to be like that top three kind of team, you have to be a team that sticks together more than three months. Yeah, can't can't argue with that. I, I think that it is it is impressive how even went through the adversities that they have with their roster changing seemingly constantly for the last handful of months, they keep having these surprisingly strong finishes. Like at, at Katowice, it kind of felt like I'm gonna say like like four consecutive BO3s, they were kind of considered the underdogs, and then they just kept winning and winning and winning. And I think they were what one BO3 from making it to the arena itself. It was like what like kind of like a what the hell moment that they can always just keep fighting. And I think that speaks to sort of the system and structure that's in place and also the quality of the the core players of the roster too. And I think I think now that Brolin's on there. I'm actually pretty excited about that. If they do just keep Esetag as the opera, I think this team is sort of hard capped for how good they can actually be. But I think the rifle trio, or yeah, like I'll say rifle core. I'll just say core instead of trio, because I think all four have had their moments at this point, even though people were calling for Plopsky's head for a while. I think that he's actually proved himself enough times by now that he's just a very solid piece. Like, could, could there be a better, more world-class rifler out there? Probably, if they really want to spend big, but like, he's been with them for so long now that I don't even think you necessarily have to. The The main change that most people would be looking towards is getting a better opera eventually, and that, that could be the device, but I person I personally don't think device is coming back to this team, and I also think that the uh, like other options out there, like it's actually like knock. Like if they got knock, imagine how good this team would actually be. <laughs> yeah, Maybe it just I, no. Sorry, God. I was just gonna say I personally don't think uh, I I really don't think NIP need to necessarily have a strong opera in the sense that like when I look at this roster, I kind of think of like the old G two with Amanac. If Esotech can even just fill in that kind of gap, then 
like if you look at the way NIP is kind of shuffling the riflers around, like even after Berlin came in, he's like taking a lot of res spots. And I think it's kind of like creating a new dynamic with these players that it could actually turn into something really good with just a really solid rifling core. And you just need like a decent opera. You don't need like a world-class one for them to be like a top team. At least that's how I feel about it. It's yeah, really weird gonna... to me that Brawlin is like, this is his first showing in a major playoffs. I had to go back and look at that. I was like, what? Like, this guy's been around for so long and he's been popping heads for so long. Everybody talks about him being like one of the most skilled players coming out of Sweden. And that's just, that was crazy to me to realize like, holy shit, this guy's actually never, he's a, a major playoffs debutante with this roster. But yeah, I mean, I, I do keep coming back to Mahone's other point about the fact that like the rosters, they haven't had a chance to stick together for longer than three months. And it's like, Man, you do kind of need to learn people's tendencies. Like this isn't like super loose Counter Strike where you can like maybe get away a little bit more with slotting people in. Like the kind of CS Hampus is trying to play does end up being stilted a little bit more towards tactical sides. So the idea that you're just going to be able to slot in or you know like I think changing any player in this team is a months long process, and the fact that maybe they finally get to figure out what the real strengths and limits are, what the real ceiling is, and then something else changes. I hope they don't make anything else, any other shuffles, you know, coming out of this. Um, I, and that's weird saying that when Device is theoretically in the wings, like waiting to come back in uh, whenever he's ready. Uh, but I still think like, no, actually, you should just let this run for a little bit. And I also agree with Maui's take of that. I don't think Device is coming back. I don't know. I don't know as much uh, insider info on that particular subject. I just think it's been too long with too little said that it's it's very unlikely that he returns, you know? I just hate how long the specter of, like, whether device returns or not has been hanging over this team. Like, I, I think so, too. I don't think he's going to come back at this point. But the fact that it's constantly a conversation topic is just getting sort of... Like, it's just getting taxing and boring, yeah. almost. Like, I as both a talking point but also for the team like the fact that everybody brings it up all the time is just like it's so hard to like move on when you have a player as good as device on the bench and one of the like the only thing the only piece you're really missing is a competent opper not that as a tag isn't but that obviously compared to device there's a big gap there so just having that in the back of your head the whole time, like, is he coming back? Is he not coming back? Like, how long are, does this lineup have? It's just, it's just a really frustrating, like, back and forth that's always there. So I just hope that they can stick with this roster for a while and actually give them a chance. And that device talking point kind of just has to die for me. Um, yeah. Like, it's, it's just too much at this point, and I don't think that he will come back after being away for this long. And they're actually like, I mean, when I talked to DJL and I asked them about this lineup, because Hampus said something like, this is a lineup we want to continue with or something. So I asked DJL about that and he was kind of like, um, his answer was just like kind of cagey. He was like, um, well, I mean, this is the five we're playing with right now. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> interesting phrasing. But uh, I mean, I think they don't even know what's going on, right? Which is the other part that kind of just sucks for them like you you don't really just having that in the back of your head just sucks the whole time if you're playing right yeah for sure i mean everybody talks about how when you have those periods of limbo for a team where you think that uh we're just we're just kind of doing this until we get x player they always kind of use that as an excuse and it lowers motivation but i think that nip have done a great job at not letting that get to them because 
Well, that's why I don't think NIP is almost a reason I don't think he's coming back because it's like they've almost accepted that fate of of device not returning. And uh, I yeah, either way, we could we can move on from it. I, I think that NIP are still a really solid team. They're always the ones that defy expectations and have themselves worked through probably the most roster turmoil of a lot of the, the top squads and still manage to stay on their feet. So that's, that's really yeah. impressive. And I would commend them for all of that. So let's do, let's do this. Um, let's move on to another team, I guess. Okay. Let's give some plaudits to, to phase. Let's talk about how their run. Uh, even though I think most of us put them as the favorites to win that major, I myself put them as like, like give them a 30 to 35% chance of winning it. Does it, do you guys, did you guys coming into the major think that they had a higher probability of winning it than like fifty percent? Did it? Would any of you guys take up take that up? Probably uh, just barely. Probably just just barely over fifty percent. Because again, like Navi actually looked pretty good. I mean, I guess coming into the tournament, I probably would have said it's like seventy thirty, which is pretty confident. Um, probably the most confident I've ever been in a major favorite. And, and then really, like when yeah, when Navi came into the tournament, like as the tournament progressed, and Navi looked like cleaner in those early stages. That's when I was like, oh man, maybe Phase is only a sixty forty now, or a fifty five forty five, or something. So that's yeah. sort of how my mind sort of parsed it and and how it worked. Okay. Okay. I definitely wouldn't give them like a seventy percent chance. I think just in their individual form, they were obviously playing really well, but. I put them like a little bit below 50%, like probably a 40% or so, just because you have, like you can't count out Navi at any point, I think, regardless of their like the, the world circumstances because they were still playing relatively well before. Um, and then you had Ents coming up as well with their strong individual form. And there's just too many teams that were also in good form at just the right time to give phase like a massive percentage chance like for me they were definitely the favorites but i think i would put them like 40 percent, 45 percent maybe but definitely not over 50 yeah mahone what would you have what would you have given them yeah i would have said probably like the 30 to 40 ish range like i think there is still a very strong contender but there are just so many good teams at this major where it's like it felt like any team was an upset away from just like being able to progress really far so I would say, like, yeah, I think they're definitely one of the like the top four in my mind. But I don't think it was necessarily like a closed deal that they're going to win this, especially with Navi, especially with Ants, especially with like these teams like Spirit that are coming up as well. It's like you just never know sometimes with these tournaments. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. It feels it feels like when we, if you try to remember before the major when Phase won everything leading up to it, and when like. They were dispatching G2, admittedly a very close 3 like one of the closest 3-0 grand finals we've ever seen in a tier one tournament. Uh, but still, like, you know, they, they wiped them out with it. G2 couldn't get a single map. That showed like the amount of comeback potential with this squad. It was like that immortal, it, like, I think it was 25, 22 or some ridiculous number for like one of the, the quadruple overtimes that happened on, I think it was Mirage in that grand final. I'm thinking all the way back to Cato. And like, it's just, there are some crazy storylines leading into this tournament. And when FaZe were that dominant and, and everything seemed to be clicking and they were winning with JKS even, like, I don't know, man. It felt like in some ways that this team couldn't lose a big game if they made it to the big game. And it felt like they were a lock for making it to the big game. It felt like there was no way they could lose. That was, again, when it, when we were just getting into it. And that was also like 
Navi had a bit of a resurgence at this major uh, compared to what their form leading up to it, in my opinion. And then you had other teams sort of like fall away, which meant that you, like you weren't really thinking about G2 or Vitality who didn't make it to playoffs. You weren't thinking about Cloud9 who didn't make it to playoffs, right? Like these were squads that we maybe if the if the playoffs had more of the other big teams like Cloud9, G2, Vitality, maybe then you're like doubting phase more. But I felt like when it was just phase Navi were like the two big teams. I don't know, man. I I guess at the same time, if Heroic had taken the Navi series, the Heroic Navi quarterfinals, and then Ents or Heroic made it to the grand finals, maybe it paradoxically feels like those teams are more within touching distance of phase, if you guys know what I mean. I feel yeah. like like basically it was it was one of those situations where because I feel like phase were mentally prepared to face Navi, if they came up against an Ents or a Heroic instead, it's like I don't know. Navi have already touched greatness in that respect. This whole five-man roster already won a major. And if you're going up against a team that hasn't done that yet, maybe there's still that hunger. And also maybe like Ents doesn't collapse completely against a team not named Navi as well, I feel like. So, but I don't know. That's all that's like more distant speculation. I don't know what you guys think of how FaZe would have stacked up against some other team had they made it to the grand final. I mean, I, I want to poke Mahone's brain on the veto in the grand final because FaZe like Rain was genuinely confused that Navi picked Nuke. Uh, against them. So I'm wondering what you thought about that when you saw it. Uh, I mean, I don't really think it was it was a big deal either way. Like, like I think Navi are fairly comfortable with Nuke, and even though, like, you know, FaZe were just winning every single Nuke game, I felt like that was the kind of the game where it's like, let's just show what we got kind of thing, right? Because Navi are, are they've, they've proven to be good on Nuke, especially in big games. It was just down to more so, like, can FaZe also do that? Because that was something that was always lingering in, in my mind for this whole tournament. Like, especially the the deeper that phase got was just like, are they going to be able to handle the pressure now that they're actually in the semifinals? Now they're actually in the grand finals, right? And I think one thing that kind of proved to me that mentally they seemed like they were ready was just when they played against NIP and they lost that like 5v2 or whatever, the one where Plopsky defused the bomb at A and then the next round they just come back and just win it right away. Like I think that kind of just showed that mentally they were in a lot better of a spot than they than they used to be back then, and that's kind of just how I felt. Where I don't think it really mattered like what kind of map they ended up playing. Uh, yeah, I think the veto. I I, I mean, I actually thought the veto could have gone a couple different ways there. I thought mm -hmm. Navi, what they could have picked. What did Phase ban? Did they ban Dust Two or Mirage? Banned. They banned uh, Mirage. Okay, so I thought I thought Navi could have gone for a D2 pick, which I think like Kerrigan would have very much so expected. Because, uh, but I also think that Navi could have also tried for an ancient pick, which is so scary to do. But I think it's it is also very possible. But uh, I think that the nuke pick was kind of like they were almost just feeling themselves in terms of like we're ramping up into our Stockholm form and we just kind of want to like ride whatever we had back then a little bit, which feels like. Kind of resting on your laurels a little bit too much for me where i wish they i wish they did go with like a d2 or an ancient like that's what i put in my notes as like i want to see them pick the most but nuke being kind of like a uh like we're just gonna cruise this one a little bit more but yeah i i think that the veto wouldn't have changed too much i, I think like basically if if navi got it over the line on inferno because they made that massive comeback and actually had two map points on it i think yeah. that they would have won the series right then and there like that's that's one of those moments where you feel freaking horrible if you are phased. You're like, wow, that was that was our that was our game. Yeah. And then you just kind of like, maybe it's not our destiny to win this one. So that's 
that was my concern with them. But Especially on Inferno, than, right? Like, that's the heartbreak map yeah. for Kerrigan and Rain at that point, which is just, like... The, exactly. I guess the, there was an interview after the match where Rain said that, like, he didn't realize it at the time, but the the next round or something, he thought, holy shit, that was Boston right there. When, when they had the last second pl- bomb plant on the A site instead of the B site this time. Like, holy shit, that was Boston. We almost got Boston. And, like, the fact that that's even happening, like, in the moment, in the grand final, that's super crazy. I mean... It, it speaks to the, I think, the mental fortitude of that roster. At the same time, as far as the map veto is concerned, I feel like if we had gotten the D2 pick and this did go to three maps, do you guys th- reckon we then would have had Nuke as the decider? I thought I thought that was coming, and I thought that would have been pretty hype. If you think about, like, FaZe are undefeated on Nuke, and then the last teams that picked Nuke into Na'Vi got demolished by them, like, or whatever, like, opted into it or whatever, like... That that could have been a really stellar third map in that respect, and we could have we could have gotten some nice storylines out of that, but didn't happen, and instead Navi picked it. I thought I I did think that was a bit odd, but you know, thought the decider should have been should have been probably ancient, uh, even if it were a D two pick. Uh, but I guess now seeing how not and but the reason I almost thought that was because I thought Navi would probably second phase ban it, but you know that's uh that's on them. I guess they like it more than I thought. To at least go for it there. Mm-hmm. Let's let's. I want to I want to talk about Navi and the like where this puts them though in terms of how we perceive what they have achieved because at this point they haven't won anything since the global finals. They obviously won the Grand Slam. They won their major. Do you guys consider what Navi did at the end of 2021 to even be an era? I I don't. <laughs> yeah. I think they're dominant, but I don't think it's an era. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. really agree. I think. Uh, yeah, I, I'm in the same camp. I think that this this conversation has been put to bed. I don't think there was ever a Navi era. It was just kind of like it. It almost like the way I would frame it is like if Liquid's Grand yes. Slam run just included a major. It's the same thing that Navi did, more or less. Other than mm, the fact yeah. that there was like there was that extended. Katowice in like what 2020 that just like yeah. somehow connected it that was but part like, of the that, grand that slam technically fake. which is really weird. yeah that felt fake you know that didn't feel yeah. really that didn't feel real in my eyes um but it's kind of just like if if liquid somehow got luckier about the scheduling of tournaments and there was no player break they would have probably done the same thing and we wouldn't have called that their era either um so that's that's where i see Navi success there. You would probably consider that five-man lineup at the end of 2021 at the peak of their powers one of the best rosters of all time, but I can't really put them any higher in terms of the longevity, which obviously matters, and you would never even compare them to something like the the how lengthy Astral's were playing at the top of the world and how even like even like LGSK like even though they didn't win a grand slam or whatever an equivalent would be they won a lot of a lot of tournaments and they won two majors back to back and i think that has more of an era feel to me than than anything navi did so do you guys any any contests there well i was going to make the exact same comparison so i think you're you're spot on actually okay I, I was going to say, I don't really think LGSK had an era, but, you know, then I'll just get destroyed by Brazil on Twitter. So I'll I'll instead say it's the most contentious era, probably, because they <laughs> mostly just won majors. And to say that sounds ridiculous because many people don't ever win a major. But if, if <laughs> yeah, that's all you sure. did was win two majors. And again, I stress, I understand that's goofy. It does feel to me like maybe... Maybe that you can make an argument. I think it's a debatable era, right? And it's it's like one of those things where depending on how hardline you are with it being 
Because in my mind, in order to qualify for an era, you have to not have, like, you don't necessarily have to have won everything, but you have had, like, in order to win a tournament, people have to go through you. Like, you are the gatekeeper of literally top one in the game. That has to be, like, what constitutes an era in that respect, where you mostly win, and in the cases where you don't, whoever defeated you is who wins. Like, that's sort of what I'm thinking about. And when you get to a lot of these, I, Navi kind of disqualified themselves early on by not going to every tier one tournament. There was at least one tier one tournament, I can't remember the name of it, unfortunately, that they didn't go to. Uh, in... I am a fall, or winter. Okay. Yeah, the, it would the one vitality one. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. One. So, like, I mean, we talk about oversaturation in CS, but still, it feels to me like there definitely could have been, like, you know, if you're going to be in line for an era and then you choose to opt out of tournaments because, oh, th this tournament, like, I think Blade talked about it, like, we need, you know, many days of preparation. That's part of a big part of our process for winning these tournaments. Well, Sorry, but you got to win. Every, like you got to be there at the very least and be the team to beat if you're not going to take every single tournament. And they did take a lot of tournaments, admittedly. But it, I, I do think that, unfortunately, tragically, it was cut short by other consequences. It does. You got to feel bad if you're a Navi fan at the same time. Like if you think back to 2020, that was when their era was supposed to be kickstarted with IEM Katowice, and yet once they got to that win, that was when COVID hit and we had entered into lockdown and Navi never saw another land for a long time uh, until after they changed players, right? That was after like Flamey left it for a bit and stuff. So that that's pretty crazy, man. Like imagine that happening and then yet another global catastrophe hits and deprives you of your next era as it's being developed. Like unlucky, bro. <laughs> Sorry. That's pretty, like, yeah. I know it's like such a very specific element. Like obviously there are bigger deals than whether or not one team remains dominant in a video game, but Seriously, like that's one of the most unlucky tier one teams, probably just on those grounds. Yeah, I, I guess I guess. Uh, OK, well, I guess we put we we've answered that question, so we could move to another team here. Uh, I think. OK, all right. I'll put this forward. One of the biggest disappointments for me at the major was Cloud9. What do you guys think? I have my idea already. Um but what do you guys think needs to change for this roster or does anything need to change? So I want to hear from Mahone. Um, I think for them, something needs to change with like their mentality. I don't necessarily think there's like a player swap that needs to happen, but you know, I was even thinking maybe if they had like some kind of sports psychologist, mental coach, something along those lines that could probably help. Right. Because I think it's like, the capability for them to win big tournaments is there, but it's just they're not showing up at these like bigger stakes games. And I think that's really, in my mind at least, where something could change. And it'd be a very easy like slot in type of solution. And you don't have to think too hard about bringing in other players or anything like that. Uh, no, what have you got? I mean, I don't know. I think they, I th honestly thought they wouldn't have too much trouble making the playoffs at this event. But the only team they really beat was Outsiders. Yeah. And <laughs> I, know, I know. Like, they lost to NIP, FaZe, and then Imperial, which I think for a team of Cloud9's <laughs> caliber is just unforgivable. Obviously, yeah. obviously, like, contextually, that was also the same day that that uh, report came out from Richard about Hobbit uh, uh, allegedly match fixing or being involved in match fixing. Um, so that definitely could have added some stress to the team environment but as a whole i think 
the the losses that this team had at this event was kind of unforgivable for the caliber of team that they're supposed to be. Because um, I think they were a top five team going into this, and so it's just not making the playoffs is isn't something that this team can really be satisfied with. And also, if they had, I feel like they would have just gotten eliminated in the quarterfinals with the way that they were playing at this event. Yeah, I don't know if. Like obviously, if Yakinder's a free agent, then they have to like any any team has to consider him as an addition, and he could like he could work on this team. But the thing is, like I don't know if I don't know if I can make a change to Cloud Nine. That's the problem. Like I, I don't know if I would really make a player change at the moment. Yeah, it's really rough, isn't it? I mean. You got to consider any uh, change to any team, which loses to the most overrated player of all time, obviously. So, uh, <laughs> th- you know, when you're in a situation like that, man, like that's just how esports is. But what I will say about the Cloud9 roster is that when you think about even a Yakinder prospect, it's like, wh- who do I even slot in for, though? Like, do you take out Inters? Like, well, then you you start to think about all the reasons why Inters is like a big part of this squad. And like, you go down the list, everybody has these reasons to stick together. And it's, it, it is a really tough call if they decide to go for somebody to the point where I don't even know, like, I don't know. I mean, I, this team, it does feel like cohesion is a big part of what made them successful in the online era. Uh, and it feels like Groove can take a lot of credit for that. But, I mean, we're not in the online era anymore at this point, right? So we need we need to go into a different setup for these guys. And something does definitely need to change. But, yeah, I don't know. There's so many question marks around this. The fact that they changed org in the middle of the major cycle. The fact that they, um, you know, obviously had the whole situation with Hobbit and the report coming out, like, right before one of their matches. Where they surprisingly lost to a really big underdog in the series. Like... There's a lot of question marks and a lot of asterisks around how this team performed at the major. But I, at the same time, I'm sympathetic to the, the crowd that says, like, well, these guys have have been told, no, you're fine. Just play out with this five for like over a year now. Yeah, when people exactly. have been saying, like, oh, give them time. They're still have they still have to develop. How much time is too much time? At what point are you just sitting on, you know, resting on your laurels and not actually making a, a tough change that needs to be made? Because it has been a very long time where people have said, like, since before Stockholm, Right since since some of the, those LAN events started to come back, that was when people were saying Cloud not, or Gambit at the time don't have the, what it takes. They need to we need to make a change. And then other people were saying no, stay the course, keep the ship as it is. Let's see how how far we can go. I think maybe we've seen how far they can go. Unfortunately, I kind of want to hear what Alex's changes then because he said he had one in mind. Um, yeah, mine is very contentious, and uh, I would just I would get rid of Naphne. I think and the you're gonna bring in Jerry, aren't you? I would bring I would bring in Jerry. I would bring in anybody else actually. I bring in almost any other uh, CIS in-game leader at this point because I don't think I don't think for one that the style that they play is is good actually anymore. I actually don't think it's good because if you really look at what Gambit was like good at online, dude, they're just they were like forty ping jiggle peak mechanic abuse. They just, they just like Axile was the best jiggle peeker in the world on the internet. And I don't really think when you watch him play at LAN that he has nearly as much success. His T side rating falls off a cliff. He like, he gets scared of taking the same initiatives because he realizes that you can't just play the same way online that you play on LAN. And I think that it's pretty telling that this team has had so many flop, flop sort of performances while they still maintain the worst flash assist percent, like, 
yes. per round of any team at this event. Like, and they keep doing this. They did this when they were winning too. They just kept like jiggle, like the way they would take control on so many maps, which just felt like, what the fuck? Like, if you just lost that duel, you just don't get that space, you know? Like, it didn't feel like there was any system supporting a lot of what they were doing. And the amount of bailout rounds that people like Inters and Hobbit have to come up with where it's like, then they just start jiggle peeking out of their spot that they're in in the default. It's just like, what is this? What is this Counter-Strike? Like, everybody that was like trying to sell me with this point that's like, oh, they play this like cool strategy of CS. And I'm like, what the f Tell me, tell Mahone, I'd be, I'd be curious. Tell me what the strategy is behind a lot of these rounds. Mahone, do you have, is there a greater picture to what Cloud9 are doing in some of these rounds? Because I fail to see it on other than like when they get close to a bomb site, sometimes they throw like execs or pops into the site and they do throw a couple smokes early on in a round to like make sure that their players like Axile have the space and can isolate at some angles easier. But like, is there a greater strategy to this that I'm missing? Because I'm I'm kind of shook that this style is still like what they're attempting. Nah, uh, like even during the gambit time, like when they were dominant in that online period, like whenever watching their demos and stuff like that, it's like they never really did anything all too special. Like it was always just very solid foundational CS. Like they never had any gimmicky nades or they never had any crazy executes. Like you know, I think I think most teams knew for, for, for a lot of teams, including us, like when I was at NIP, it was almost like we knew exactly what they were doing, but we just couldn't stop it for some reason. That's how it felt. And I think for a yeah. lot of teams, it felt like that. It's like we knew what they were doing, but we just couldn't stop it. Like, for example, I even think about back on Inferno, back in, you know, when they're dominant, it's like they always play passive site. It's like you could know exactly what setup. They're yeah. Doing, for some reason, we just can't break it. <laughs> That's exactly. Like playing against them. They're just like site specialists. On CT side, they play without info more than any other team that I watch by far. And I'm just like, what? How does this like? How does this work? How does this work? And it's just that like you actually break it down, and it's like Shiro, Axile, and Hobbit are just this incredible trio, and that's why their ratings are so high because they just multi-frag like like it's nobody's business. Like, but but in terms of their their setups are are pretty good actually. Like they they play off each other. They have nice crossfires. They can always like jiggle behind something so the other guy can get next contact. But like when you actually see it it's like it break it like so many of the things that other teams feel like they have to do like we have to get info in the mid round we have to do an opening play for our opera so that he can find a pick that like makes things easier for us it's like cloud nine don't really do half of that they don't they don't do that most of the time they just chill and they just know that they're really good individually which just feels like the most grindy way to be good where you're not also the, not a consistent way to yeah, be good it just either. doesn't like, feel when consistent. you hit land especially not a yeah. chance yeah yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to see like a really strong change in the like philosophy of how they play the game. Because I think if you have Axile and you have Hobbit and you even have uh, Shiro, of course, like you, that trio is so effing good. Like that can be the world's best team. But I just think that the style they play T side is really poor right now. And I don't, think that it's suited for big game situations unless they get over a huge mental hurdle of of Axile playing like he does online on LAN. But I think he's already recognized that you can't really do that because jiggle peeking into every angle is just worse when everybody has zero ping. That's that's my that's my take on him. I don't even think Axile was bad this tournament. I think he actually had played like relatively okay individually. It's just the fact that the team like you're right, like the style they're playing was not you just can't translate that to LAN the way that they yeah. did online. 
I yeah. think on CT side, I really liked what I saw from him. From but T sides, I just didn't feel like he T took, side. He had some weird fights. Yeah, I don't think he took initiative with either the same kind of confidence or the same timings or like maybe or he just lost more of the fights than he would on online. Like whatever whatever it is, he just wasn't as good, which is cause for concern for me. So I think one, I would like to see more setup for him. Yeah, I think one thing that you guys brought up just earlier with the Akinder, I think an interesting idea that I just thought of could be for a more stylistic change, what you could do is um because Nafni on the T side is normally more of that entry type of IGL. Maybe something they can do is they get Yakinder, replace Inters, and then Nafni turns more into more of like a um management type of IGL where where he gets Yakinder to do all that kind of entry stuff, the space taking, and then Nafni works more on the macro level and then just making sure he sets up everybody properly. That could be a stylistic change that would that might make a big difference. Doesn't it have like yeah. it, it feels like at this point it has to be stylistic. It has to be mental. It has to be like an aspect of their game that isn't just I don't know like raw mechanics or whatever. Like even if you go back to like the arena games or what and in Stockholm itself, where I think it was Nafani, I, I can't remember who it was. Some somebody on the then Gambit lineup said that we don't treat it differently. Like the pressure doesn't get to us. Basically, trying to like talk out, talk away, and dismiss the the narrative that the big arena game was going to come back to bite them. And then they totally collapsed against Navi in the semis. And like even before that, it was pretty sketch when they dismantled Furia in the quarters. So if you think back to that, like surely it must be obvious that they can't do what they've been trying to do online. They can't translate that. But at the same time, everybody has been telling me that actually the mechanical differences between online and land play are not that big of a deal, guys. And actually, you shouldn't like rate that super highly and put a lot of attention towards that because it really it's kind of like a false narrative. It doesn't really hold up. Well, if that's true, then it has to have been a mental thing. Like there's no way that you can say, well, the, the mechanics aren't that different, so you should be able to do most of the same things. But then on the same breath also tell me that this Gambit slash Cloud9 lineup is like totally fine mentally and doesn't need to, you know, change something fundamental to how they're approaching the game from a, like a stylistic perspective or whatever. Like clearly something has got to go. And I don't know if that's a person. I don't know if that's like what Mahone said about like a sports psychologist coming in or something. So now they have Cloud9's backing there. They've got a little bit more resources in that department. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, again, I think it just goes back to like, how many times, how many more chances do you get? And how much more of a lease on life do you give a team that has not delivered at the, in, in the big land games? Or even in this case, got to them. You know, they were still in the studio when they collapsed against Imperial. So, okay. I mean, I think the best player they could get for Alex's idea is obviously Jerry, but that guy's never escaping <laughs> fours. I think he's I permanently like, he's what a ridiculous. Got a, he just yeah. has handcuffs around him, yeah. tied to the fours bar, never escaping. Yeah, yeah, tied to the radiator. He's they're not even golden handcuffs. They're like discount ones, but he still he doesn't dare try to break them, you know what I mean? Like I I would like Jerry because I think he just always puts together like really kind of bait like it's not super basic. It's like he just recognizes what his personnel can be good at and he makes it more even more simplified. Like the amount of four ones I've seen Jerry run on every iteration of his rosters ever is just astounding given that we're in the year 2022 and not 2014. But I think it's just like it just makes sense because if you have a couple guys that get nervous or they're inexperienced, then then, yeah, put them in a four one because you just death ball your way through the middle of the map and then your one lurker guy then pounces, you know, those kind of things. The guy you trust the most right so those that that would be an answer for me but 
Uh, let's let's talk about some other teams. Let's talk about somebody else. Let's do. Can I rewind the clock one second? Because there is a Go team we did talk about called Navi that we didn't talk about a key aspect, which is probably oh, sure. some of the players are not going to be sticking around. That that lineup is probably not going to be the same the next big event that they go to, right? Yeah, like they, they let's do it. Conveniently or maybe not conveniently, I don't know, had uh, visa issues going to IM Dallas, I think it is. So like they're not going to be at the next big event that everybody else is at, which gives the organization time to figure out what they're doing with some of the Russian players who may or may not want to stick around, given the whole global catastrophe that's happened. So if we're going to talk about like moving players to cloud nine and like changing up that roster. Do we talk about Boomich? Do we talk about, you know, whoever I mean, else might cloud be going? nine's relocating. So the players just like the players, they would still have to Navi do that. Wouldn't, yeah. They, they wouldn't, that's the point though. Right. Like they're uh, part of the reason they'd be out of Navi would be that they want to stay in Russia. Well, that okay. could be the cover story note, but you know as well as I do that organizations are sometimes taking like the path of least resistance, and it could just be that they have a, dif- a disconnect that goes deeper than that, that like for whatever reason, right? I mean, we can speculate about that all day, but like so, okay, but maybe if we do if we do take them at their word in that respect, then yeah, I guess the Russian players would have to would want to stay within Russia or be based within Russia, but I, that that seems more like they're retiring than they're going to another team then. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there's many opportunities if you're not going to relocate. So it just seems kind um, of unlikely that that's actually what's going on. But maybe maybe that is true. Like, maybe they are just choosing to dip out of CS. But we're, if we're going to talk about the future of some of these players, it just felt like it was appropriate to bring up the Navi angle because I, do, I personally don't think they're sticking together as five. So, so to the best of my knowledge, uh, it does feel like the... Uh, Ukrainian players are probably going to stay on the team, bit and simple. And then I think the future of the other guys is a little bit more up in the air. But I think I've kind of, it seems like things have, like, what what are the whispers I've heard have indicated more so to me that, like, the people that are most likely to go, Electronic number one, yep. Boomage number two, and yes. Perfecto's probably okay. Like, I, yep. don't, I haven't that's, heard too many rumblings that's a, about that's him. That's basically what I'm to yeah, so like and this is this is a verifiable thing that has happened and you can take what you want of it. Boomich's like wife or whatever like was going <laughs> yeah, like, to divorce him and then like they kind of got didn't divorce and then she posted a picture yes. of like a Russian tank on Instagram yeah. or something ridiculous like that and then like then that led to like that probably led to some infighting in the fact that he's playing for a Ukrainian org and he his wife posted a Russian tank like that can't fly no matter what. And I'm not trying to spin this anyway, but like there's something just, there's got to lead to tension somewhere between somebody in this org and Boomich and, or his wife who is very much so attached to him by the, the nature of their matrimony there. I mean, it also just sucks for Boomich because he had to come out and like make his own post where he had to make like this personal statement about like Russian propaganda. And he obviously like, there's only so much he can say, so, like, it, it was just, like, a hard statement that he was kind of forced to make individually just because his wife made that post. Yeah. So, yeah. so like, well, I, I think in terms of, like, where this is going to go, if Electronic goes, which weirdly seems, like, the most likely, even though I don't necessarily know what the drama is behind it all, I, it's just that you would probably just want your kinder, because yeah. in terms of... T side roles very similar. CT side, Yakinder doesn't really play the same 
anchor spots that electronic does on every map but like electronic does have a couple active spots on on certain maps too that i think yukinder would do just fine um but like for example i don't yukinder's not really a pit player like that's probably one that sticks yeah. out to me but the rest i think he could probably do a good job if not even just learn the spots um so i mean mahone what do you think if, if it were just electronic for yukinder where do you think navi goes from there mm, well i'm just thinking on like for example like a map like Nuke, right? Your kinder hasn't played Nuke in yeah. I don't know how long, right? right. <laughs> because that's their right. their veto. But I can see him being like a good outside player. That's one thing for sure. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, he because he, he's very active and he he knows how to take um he knows how to take the right risks and how to benefit from it. And yeah, I just feel like he would be a, a he. I also agree that he'd be a good you know slot in for electronic in a lot of those a lot of the T side as well. It just seems like it just seems like he can be that player that. It almost seems like as well, like he seems to be that player where you can just put him to do almost anything and he can probably do it to a pretty good level for the most part. Other than, you know, maybe anchor sites like Pit, like like you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. But other than that, like I think he he would be a good fit. Okay. Yeah. I think other than that, the boomage angle gets a little bit weird because there isn't really an obvious replacement for him. I don't think Simple would want to play with Jerry anyways. Uh, what do you mean? Dude? I don't, I, he's Jerry. He's epic. Yeah, he, he's, I mean, exactly to us, but not to Simple. He's not epic. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just really tough to believe that anybody could slot in for Boomich and just, like, do that sort of role. I yeah. guess I'm thinking of, like, annoying players that are in the the Eastern European scene, and I just think of, like, like Kicker would be kind of cool, but, like, does it actually kicker did briefly in-game lead for for vp back in the day and i think he might have done it even with his previous roster like just briefly i never i don't think he came up as an in-game leader or anything like that but i think he did take the role for a i want to say like a tournament or two at some point but that would be another project for uh for blade to like bring somebody up and try to explain it all but then again blade just writes the whole script anyways for what they're gonna I do was every gonna round, say, so. yeah does it even matter who they get like yeah that, like that is wasn't it that that's something that I do kind of want to see. I kind of I do want Boomich to continue playing, but for for another yeah. team again as IGL, so that I can actually see that this guy is an IGL and not just like a script follower or something like an actor in a play. I don't know. Like I don't want to discredit his role too much. He's obviously a major winner, but it feels like he, he, calling him an IGL and then calling Kerrigan an IGL. It's like you're talking about two different roles, really. Like these people are not really doing the same thing. So that's just my take. I feel like it would be really interesting to see where how high Boomich can go as an, an actual IGL where we know there's no Blade writing the script, you know? Yeah, I mean, it'd be cool to watch him keep playing, but if there is, if he does depart Navi, I don't know where he would go and I don't know how, how just how well he would do as an in-game leader. I think if he just focused on playing completely again, he'd probably be a really good player again. He'd how would really you feel... QBF. How would you feel about Nafani joining for Boomage? Uh, you know, I think... I think that's actually kind of okay. It's kind like, of okay, want, right? Yeah, I kind of I want Nafini to leave Cloud Nine, but I actually wouldn't mind him being the guy for Nafini. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's yeah. like it's kind of funny. It kind of fits too. It's yeah, the the roles that they play. Yeah, so. especially yeah. on CT side is what I was thinking about. Like they're both really annoying MP9 users, so they could get some. Give work me done. just just swap Boomich for Nafini. Just swap them. Just one for one trade, yeah. and then and then bring in your Kinder for electronic. And I think both these rosters are fixed. Actually, they have a. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, Hold on, I'm uh, writing a HLTV thread right now. I fix Navi and 
Yeah. <laughs> the one swap that wins that wins <laughs> the next major for somebody here. Uh okay. Okay. Let's let's okay, we'll move on from, from Navi. Let's go to some of the other disappointments. So I think that in terms of big orgs, uh, we already talked about Cloud9, but we can talk about G2 and Vitality, who both had not the best time. Personally, I think more of us would have thought G2 would have made it to the legend or to the playoffs than Vitality. But uh, I will. So let's let's just start first. Let's start with first with G2. I'm not going to use the question I initially put for just our notes, but I'm going to use the just the idea of like G2 right now. What do we think about this team? Why did they not make it? Does anything need to change or do they need time? So open floor. I mean, what's going on with Nico, man? Yeah, the guy yeah, the is having such a he's had such a down period individually that I'm starting to get a bit concerned. Like compared to the level he was at before, like that was the, that was the whole talking point with Monesty coming into this team, right? Like six star young opera with the level that Nico was putting up just seemed kind of unstoppable. Like it just seemed like there was so much potential for that kind of lineup to take off, but. I don't know. Like here, let me look. Nico had a 1.13 rating for the matches they played. Now, like for an average player, that's kind of that's that's pretty decent. Like that's not something to be like, oh wow, you you played awful. But for Nico, who was putting up like 1.3, 1.35 ratings for a lot of big events last year, that's a pretty big dip. Like it's the same conversation as he was having that same like kind yes. of fall off earlier. Yeah, it's, it's weird how there's a bit of a parity. Like, Zewu obviously looked a bit better at the actual major, but leading up to it, everybody was like, well, Apex hasn't been able to figure out how to get him online at the same time as the Dana Stars are online, so what's going on there? And I don't know, uh, for G2's side, it does feel to me like, okay, you got Monacy, and he he's really surprised me. Like, the fact that he's actually delivering in the, some of these bigger games, um, he's, he's putting up numbers, he's handling his production, the fact that Nico also simultaneously goes on a dip is concerning. I am really tired of seeing everybody after a very short amount of time of this roster's life cycle blaming Alexi B for the fact that Nico can't shoot heads anymore as as effic- efficiently as he used to. That seems really premature. And the idea, like, I get that obviously Alexi B was somewhat polarizing on OG to the point to the people who even paid attention to him, where some people would say, oh, he's like doing great compared to like what he has uh, when you take that into, into account versus the other people who were saying, well, his style is dated or he's not evolving it or whatever. I feel like they have made stylistic changes and strategic changes to the playbook on G2. And they have looked like there has been improvement in that regard on their T sides. But it does feel like, you know, it, one of the things we criticized Alexa B for was not, letting his his uh, his players breathe, his stars take over a round. You know, he didn't park people on, you know, Banana Inferno and, and just say, hey, Nico, get some headshots, lurk around for a little bit, find an opening, like find your own way into the round. You've done this plenty of times before. Well, now he's starting to do that, but then Nico doesn't get the kill. So like, we can't still criticize Alexa B for the same thing that we were, like for literally trying, starting to incorporate the thing we were saying he should do. Like if that's our if that's our contribution to G two as our neural network or whatever, and then it doesn't work out because of you know, it's not because of Alexa B at that point. I don't know. It's just that was kind of tilting me. Um, 
and I know, you know, Maui Snake, you had something to say for this on, on a desk segment when you guys were taking a look at some of the, one of the Alexa B Inferno strats on B, where they like want to force buy from a man down situation. And part of it was tech nine magic, but part of it was yeah, legitimately yeah, yeah. like a, a very short term call, like a mid round where you must like, if you don't have this called exactly right, it just doesn't happen. And, and yet they were still able to secure the round off at the back of it. It's like, this guy obviously brings something to the table. Uh, the, the question is, does he do it consistently enough and in enough situations where he is a world-class top, like top three IGL or whatever? Cause that's what this team needs. It, it's just, it, it is a shame that Nico falls off at the same time. And we can only speculate as to why that is, I feel like. And that's probably the biggest issue with this roster. I don't, I don't think Nico's fall off is necessarily tight. Like, I don't think you can blame Alexi B for Nico's fall off. But I also don't know if I really believe in Alexi B on this team, like as the IGL. Like I don't know if I believe in his IGL link for this roster specifically. It's just not been. I don't know. He he hasn't. I think if you had Nexa on this team still IGLing, they would be a better team than they are right now. That's something that I've been posing for like the entirety of this roster move c- releasing. That I just all I wish they ever did was just put in Monacy for Amanek. I just yeah. think that's like such a clean change that you would keep the you would keep basically everything that's good about the roster and then just upgrade the one weak point of it. And maybe maybe Amanek does a couple things better than Monacy. He probably does. Um in terms of rotations and like knowing when to go where and having that sort of mid-round autonomy. But I don't think that like it's it's inarguable that Monacy is just a better opera, like in terms of production in the server and output um maybe like maybe nade usage was better by almanac but actually i looked at monacy's flash stats and stuff he's doing pretty good at that so yes. i don't think that's like too bad but uh yeah I, I think like but the thing is that it's kind of like the the narrative that alexi b is a fraud is is kind of countered by the fact that g2 almost always has some of the best t side round win percentages yeah but then people always are like but that's because of nico but then if nico's not doing that well how can they have you can't like have yeah. your cake and eat it too in this argument, right? Like they're they are doing some things well on T side, and Nico's doing badly. But Alexi B's a fraud. Like how, the, all these narratives can't be going together simultaneously. Yeah. So I I'm I'm one to push back against the Alexi B's fraudulent claims, but I do think that with this roster right now, I think they should be one of the teams that looks at like a Yakinder for Jax. I think that they should be. Looking to just like continue improving though, even though like it just seems like a almost like they maybe overperformed at Katavita with the time that they had together, and then they've kind of like gone back regressed to the mean a little bit for me. But I also think that Nico is in a weird slump. And I, I put my I, I watched demos of Nico like a while ago, like at Katavita, where he was not playing well, and I just felt like he wasn't doing as many jiggles and being quite as thoughtful with his like how he would proceed in a round but i also don't know if he's still having those issues and if he is like i feel like that's pretty easy to identify if you're him yeah i, I also to clarify i don't think alexi is a fraud but i just don't know if he's like the right piece for this team specifically that could definitely change but right now i just don't know whether it's like his style of calling is working for the team as a whole like it does you're right like they have good t sides but the the style he brings, which, as we said, like they have changed up a little bit since his addition, it's like it doesn't fit the way Nico plays. It also like Nico obviously is not playing well individually, so it's it's 
I don't know if that's like a stylistic thing that Alexi is bringing that's leading to like the team kind of like n- like some in-game conflicts, not necessarily like uh, in terms of ind- individual performance, but uh, like people are saying in the in the chat that Thorne said that there was like um, I don't know some con- like some conflict or something in G two. Um, I don't know if that's like an actual thing or not. I obviously haven't seen the video or anything like that, but that would be an interesting talking point, I guess. Um, I don't know. What yeah, the con- I, I don't know. Well, does somebody know what the conflict is with G two right now? I didn't uh, see. <laughs> so the comment was he indirectly pointed out in his recent video that something weird is going on behind the scenes in G two, and Alexi B is probably not secure in his IGL role. Well, I don't know what to make of that because uh, it's kind of a loose comment, but uh, I don't. Mm. To me, to me. Actually... Yeah, go. Oh, yeah, go for it. No, go for it. Go I was for just going to say, I actually want to come at this from a different angle. Like, I want to say that I think their CT sides are not as good as they should be with yeah. the people mm. that they have on this team. Because when you have such big firepower, you need to be posting up more consistently, like, 10-round CT sides, and I just didn't see that, like, over, over the course of the tournament. And something as well that, like, Lexi B is actually pretty good at on the CT side is, like, calling more proactive, like, CT side setups or, like, more type of gambles, like, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I can see, like, maybe if he doesn't call that kind of stuff, he's just relying more on, like, his individuals to step up. And, you know, it's, it's a fair thing to do, but maybe he needs to kind of do more of that, because I remember him doing that a lot with Ents, like back in 2019, where it's like he would take, he would make crazy like gambles over on both sides. So it's like maybe it's just four guys that stack here. They do something, they take some control, and then they rotate back. I think that's something that they need to look at is how do they make their CT side stronger because they're not really getting the rounds that they should be with this roster. Yeah, that's a that's a very fair point that I think I think people probably overly fixate on the T sides. Generally, when you watch a team, that's where they struggle the most especially with the name value that they have. But yeah, I think that's that's definitely incredibly valid that they should be getting, yeah, like really good CT sides. It does feel like, I, I still think on a couple maps, like for example, like Monacy is just a little too stationary for me. So I think that it's probably one point of improvement, but I think that, yeah, being a little bit more aggressive too would be a, a nice solution for them. And yeah, if, if Alexi B's got that playbook, like you're saying at ends, then why not, why not include it? Uh, okay, let's go to Vitality. Let's go to Vitality. This team... Sold me on Fool's Gold in the Challenger stage because their CT sides look like as good as they did back at that premier, uh, Blast event that they had, the Spring Groups, where I thought like, oh wow, this team's coming out the gates incredibly strong, but they have once again let many people down, including myself, because yes. they couldn't really accomplish much in the Legend stage. So right now... I I would I would okay. Well, I want to hear I want to hear your guys' thoughts first on on Vitality. Like what what needs to Does anything need to change or like what even would you point to as their biggest biggest shortcoming? It feels like for whatever Apex is doing to rally like wh- one troop like Zaiwu, it's like it, it feels like there's a seesaw or something and like on the one side are the Danish stars that they imported and the other side is Zaiwu. And normally you can somehow balance this, but 
somehow like Apex can't figure out a way to make it so that both sides of this of this equation are on like the same playing field. And that that seems to be the biggest issue is like when when Dupree and Magisk are playing well, Zai was not. And when Zaiwu's playing well, Dupree and Magisk aren't. And that's what you saw in the, like, their woes really were, is that Zaiwu reactivated, and then Dupree fell off the face of the cliff, and, uh, face of the earth in some of these uh, maps that he was in, and Magisk to a, a less ridiculous uh, a degree. But, you know, he, he wasn't performing as badly as Dupree was. But, like, that was, that's just weird to think about. And... I don't know what the reason is. I don't think it looked like this in my head when I imagined Vitality not making it. I I thought Vitality like is a rough team to put your following in because they could really be fool's gold. They could turn out to be like less than the sum of their parts. But when I thought about that, I was thinking that Zaiwu would always be money and there would be no questions about it. And it's just maybe the Danish stars are the ones that have a hard time gelling with this roster. But instead, it was it was like a little bit of back and forth between the two. And I think that that seems to be the biggest issue. They can't get everybody on the same page, which I guess is probably derivative of the fact that they are speaking second languages. But that that's the, the biggest problem. And I don't know if Apex is the right man for that. But I also don't know if Apex can justify himself with the roster if he's not calling. And we know that there is the potential for Magix to take over IGL duties. So that's dangerous. And I don't know if that's a change that needs to happen, but it certainly could happen. And I am wary a of that. Apex Apex is calling every round right now for them. Okay. That was, they were, Magisk was calling pistol rounds for a while. And that has changed in the last months, like month, basically. So okay. that's like, that's I wasn't aware to, of that. To yeah, comment on that part. Okay. To comment on that one part. I think I found that out because I went, I watched, I watched a French interview and used, had someone help translate it. So shout out to them. So, uh, anybody else have strong feelings about Vitality? I mean, I think it, I want to say they just need more time, but we've said that for the last like three months. But again, like, I, I don't think that you can force a change in this roster quite yet. Like even even like a role swap necessarily. Like I think their first three to four months in their interviews, they were talking about the this issue trying to balance uh, the Danish and French style of calling and kind of playing together. And at from from talking to some of the players this major, they seem to like have worked that out a little bit more. But having taken so long to actually fix that, I still think that they aren't like a hundred percent used to playing together um, in the same style now. So I think maybe like I think if they go to the end of the player break without like making a deep run, like runner up finish or something, at the very least, then then we start to have to start looking at like what they could possibly change, whether it's a role swap or a player. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Like when I see Vitality play, or at least I was looking at a demo. Okay, um, this just kind of seems like they're still trying to work on kind of like they have a couple set strats, but they also try to kind of work their defaults more and try to get people into good positions. And I think that you know, to be able to play that type of style in a good way kind of relies on like good communication. So I still think that English is, or them all speaking English is still like very much a hurdle for them. Um, so I think that they still need time, but I think if we get to the point of the player break, like no, like note said, and we don't see any like particularly promising results for them, then we need to look at like some kind of change. And it doesn't have to be like a player swap necessarily, but it could just even be like a role swap. And I think that's maybe what Vitality need to look at. 
Okay. I don't know. I feel like this team with the money that was invested in it need to win tournaments. And that seems so far away right now when you consider the rest of the field that it is really hard. Like, I agree. You can give them more time. You can make no changes. You can make no role swaps. And that probably is the smart thing to do. But it feels really bad to do that when you know how much money was put into this roster. And, and like, Vitality are not light spenders in any of the games that they're in, to my knowledge. So the idea that they would be content to not even make it to like the grand finals of events or not even make it to major playoffs when they're like a super team, essentially like that is pretty crazy. And so you can rest on one thing for sure. And it's that this roster will not be allowed to just sit there and, and make no improvements. Like they're the, the, the big man with the money is going to come knocking pretty soon. And so like, you know, you can at least feel somewhat secure in, as a vitality fan that like the org is going to take this very seriously. So that's one nice thing. Uh, it just means that we have to probably wait a little bit before anything happens, unless these team, this, this particular lineup gets it together. Well, yeah. I mean, quite honestly, for me, I was thinking that this vitality project was going to take a while for it to really come to fruition. Yes. Like, mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think anybody, or at least I didn't expect them to be like winning tournaments right away or even be in the top four yet. I actually thought that they would have like more of a, you know, a progression where they're going to slowly become better as tournaments go on. At least that's 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 how I felt. Um, but I really do think that like by the end, like maybe by Cologne, if they're playing in that, that they need to have a good result, like some something to show that like there is actually good improvement. Yeah, the. Uh, well, here, here's what I, what I, I talked to Dupree at the RMR about this calling style, and um, he kind of put it as such that, like, Apex's way of calling was very much like, you have these kind of segmented parts of the map, and, like, you know, you do, like, staging, he does staging, basically, um, for taking map control and things like that, whereas the Astralis way was a little bit more, like, nuanced and kind of, like, free, like, it's a little slower, free-flowing, kind of like working based off of your experience to gain some space. But obviously, they did have a couple tricks to gain. Like, they did have some utility procedures, of course. But, like, the way that they felt out the map was a little bit more slow and methodical. Whereas Apex kind of goes into, like, here's the first thing we're doing in the round. Then this is the second stage. This is the third stage. And almost, like, sometimes Dupree and Majisk almost even realize they're, like, this probably isn't even the best idea right now, but we're just going to do the plan because it's the plan, right? So it it's going to be like, and I like that you bring that up, Mahone, about the way where it's kind of like maybe a hybrid of both right now, because I think that the way that Apex called before worked really well for Vitality, actually. But when you have two guys who, I mean, have, have verbally confirmed that they aren't really in love with that sort of style already, then there's just going to be some doubt in the back of their minds as they're even carrying out some of those plans yeah. and that's gonna that's always gonna hinder you uh I, I don't think that i don't think that vitality are like in a position where they need to do anything yet but i think it, it and yeah i think that the like the time argument for some teams doesn't really make sense like a liquid for me it doesn't make any sense to give that roster more time but a vitality team where they all are hopefully linearly improving at english that is a that is something you can just give time because if Zaiwu can speak better and a, a Majisk and Dupree or whatever, everybody on the team is just better at English progressively. They're going to get better at communicating and they're going to start having shorthands for calling out what they want to do next and making sure that they're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, here's the angle. Apex, come on the podcast, dude. Get on here. This is going to improve your team, man. You're going to have to level up your your English speaking capabilities. And when you get on here and explain yourself, that'll that'll really uh, help improve the cohesion of your squad because now you'll be able to communicate those complex ideas in a different tone. 
Apex, Apex will like after two beers always say he'll come on the podcast, but once he sobers up, yeah. he's like, I don't I don't really want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Checks out, actually. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. I think that's kind of happened to myself and, and Node at this point. So, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, we covered those teams. Let's see. Oh, okay, all right. Here's a team that uh, did worse at this major, but it doesn't necessarily feel like they played that much worse. Uh, that's heroic. Where last time around, semifinals finish beat beat VP in the quarters at Stockholm, but this time around they lose to Navi in the quarterfinals. Do you guys think this roster should just stay put? Or do you think, like, is this a really, like, a give-them-time sort of team? Uh, I'm I'm kind of leaning in, like, I think they're actually very good right now, still. I think this is, like, you just kind of, when you're when you're this close to being the best team, it's, it's very tough to make any sort of change because you could easily unravel the whole sweater. And I don't necessarily think for Heroic you want to take a risk there. But do you guys, you guys think they should? Should they make a change? It could happen. I mean, you think about all the Danish free agents right now, it's possible, but it does. It, and it also does feel like heroic have cloud nine syndrome, not just in the like land pressure matches or whatever, but also in the fact that we've given this particular squad a very long time. Um, so it's possible. I don't know. I feel like as the, as the Cadian narrative continues to build where everybody starts to see him as the villain and he's like getting the booze on and stuff like, okay. In the show match, we saw refresh say like he's used to being booed and he doesn't mind it. And he sort of embraces that. If we're going to start to see the whole roster embrace that sort of thing, then okay. That's one thing. But I actually don't know how many of the heroic players are comfortable with or capable of taking that mantle on. So that's like the narrative angle I come at this from is like how many of these players can withstand being booed when the roster rocks out or like, you know, basically rooted against and cheered against every single time something doesn't go their way. So that would be my angle. But again, that's like, maybe that's something they, they can grow into. It just feels like it was more intense this time around. If you guys remember the Stockholm major, I think everybody was just happy to be there. Holy shit, we have a major now. Whereas we came, we came to Antwerp and when they went on the stage, it actually was booze from the crowd. Like that, I don't know, man, that's, that might shake you a little bit if you weren't expecting that. And I think it only continues. So I don't think that like that falls away necessarily. They, they'll still get fans and stuff, but I don't think their fans will be the most dominant in the, in the arena, so to speak. So that is something that kind of worries me the more LAN arenas we end up with. Uh, but maybe I'll be proven wrong and maybe, maybe it won't go the same way. But if you think about it, the last couple of arenas heroic was a part of, they, the fans were not on their side at all. That was even in their hometown, right. In the, in the blast one, um, where obviously they had the cheating crowd for Astralis and stuff like there, there's one thing to say is the crowd is just cheating. So maybe you can disregard that, but still they were not on their side at all. That that's a very different feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anybody else have like a direction that heroic could go with a change? I don't think they necessarily need to make a change right now, but I think there's something that needs to happen for them to like get to the next level. I don't know what that would be though, because they already have like everybody's already decked out in terms of their support staff. Like staff, they already have an analyst, they already have sports psychologists, they have everything already. So it's kind of like there's something missing, but I don't really know what it is. It could honestly even be that individually they just all need to step up better. Because when I look at this roster. Like the main driving force is just Stawn and everybody else needs to step up more consistently, I think, for this team to get to the next level. Because in some way, this kind of reminds me of NIP last year, where it was mostly just Device who put up big numbers, but then like everybody else was like kind of shaky. Um, 
like campus was still like on a rise but like if you want to be like a top top team it's like you have to have more than just one hltv 20 uh, top 20 type of player on your team you need to have more than just one because all these other like dominant rosters like navi it's like they have like two or three or i think you at least need to have two of these type of players if you really want to like uh, like contend for the crown basically yeah that's that's a fair statement i mean in terms of individual performances refresh was the weak link at this event for for them um and he has he plays a pretty vital role I was ready to sell Refresh as the guy that I think should be the next to step up, but now I kind of feel like it's Tessus who should be the next guy for them. Uh, in terms of mechanics, I think he has the best mechanics on the on the whole team, and so kind of naturally it's easy to see him making the leap because you just need to do a little a couple more things in terms of decision making better. Because sometimes still like he's supposed to be the most proactive player on the team as a rifler. And he'll kind of like run into a situation that looks very, it's very obvious when we watch a VOD or something like that. It's like, that was obviously a bad move, but like that kind of happens a little bit more with Tessus than I love to see. So just developing that sort of knowledge uh, when, when you should just back off of a fight is something that he'll have to uh, revisit. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not really convinced that like they need to do anything because I actually, I've actually always kind of had this idea that if you're really just hanging on and you're like really consistently making playoffs and sometimes you're winning a round or two or like, I mean, like a, like a quarterfinals game, that, that sort of stuff. I really think that you just keep hanging on and eventually other teams are going to get weaker because they're going to break earlier than you in terms of they're just not, they're going to be upset with their status. Uh, as like a second place finish or a top four finish, like like G two for example, like we we see G two fall off now. We see Heroic still kind of maintains this top eight, clearly top eight yeah. status, and uh, I think that like it kind of is like TSM did make a change to like become the Astralis team that they are today. But like if they kind of just kept staying the course, it, it's not unlikely to me that they would have eventually just found whatever it took within themselves, as long as they don't lose motivation. And with all the support staff, like you're citing Mahone, and I've I've talked to like their sports psychologist and like performance coach and stuff like that. Those guys, they seem they seem like pretty pretty solid characters. Like I think that they're probably gonna be fine in the long run because I don't see them losing motivation or like someone just going emo on the team if you have that many people that are investing resources and their time into making sure you don't. Don't do that to your, you. Don't self destruct. Yeah, I, I just I'd agree with all of that. Like, I don't think that there's really a change that this team needs to make with the way that they're currently playing. Like, they're they're really consistent. Also, you, like from talking to them and talking to their their psychologist, or actually, well, talking to them and them talking about their psychologist, they have like genuinely made strides to like work on uh, their their mental fortitude deeper into events and talking to both Katie and refresh like it's something that they've actively um that they've actively like worked on and seemed much more uh prepared for coming into this event and i don't think they necessarily like mentally crumbled on stage when they played i think navi just played better um also i will say anecdotally just a funny story it was i was on the floor watching uh their game on stage oh, okay and um Oh, you're gonna bring up the after party? No, no, no. I was I was on the floor <laughs> uh, watching their game on stage, and the two. So we were like next to the where the Vitality fans were basically, um, and the heroic performance and mental coach and their manager was were standing like directly in front of me, um, 
and the the whole like vitality crowd basically there was one guy who's like fuck heroic and the whole crowd's like fuck heroic and they're like <laughs> they suck they suck and the heroic yeah. people are just standing there like what the fuck like, <laughs> <laughs> They're just getting Funny, like, he kept, like this one guy kept leading chants of like different things about fuck heroic and stuff like that. And these wow. two guys are sitting there like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, that's not that's not going to help your mental uh, by any means. No, okay. but it, it was funny to watch. I'm not going to lie. Well, <laughs> un- unless their name is simple, they're not taking their headphones and in-ears out every five seconds after every round. So they won't probably hear any of it. I, I saw so. a lot of people talking about that, by the way. Yeah, Those, the headphones are not like, okay, so from talking to the players, the headphones that they're using are those like... Uh, the uh, Freddy Biscov, like uh, whatever, like the the special ones he made that are meant to be used on stage that kind of isolate sound and don't need white noise and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, the problem is that uh, those headsets are not designed to be used with in ears. The whole idea is that you don't need in ears with them, and you're supposed to be able to just wear them, and they like uh, cover, like they they pump. They kind of isolate sound enough so that you don't need white noise or uh, an extra you earbud just in there. Your headphones. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, whereas the ESL ones are like much more uh, closed inside, so like they're also they're meant for in ears, kind of. Um, so when you wear them, there's much it's it's much more closed around your ears, so your in ears stay in your ear. Whereas these Freddie Biscoff ones have like a much larger uh, circle basically and so your in-ears are constantly getting tugged out by mm. the by this headset so that's why like simple kept taking off like a couple okay. of players did it too yeah. it wasn't just simple especially during the group stages like players were doing it all the time because like mm. their earbuds were basically constantly being tugged out like this and obviously like you're gonna have to take the headset yeah, off sure. and readjust um, I, I'm surprised yeah, I saw they a lot of people that, talking though. about that yeah well i mean you can't really change anything because they are renting all of those headsets and it's just like competitive the, integrity is surely more important right i mean it doesn't matter as much in the in the in like the studio games but when it's in the playoffs and you have the casters talking about like a mid-round strategy or like it's it's like buy time in the next round and they're talking about what might happen or you could easily see yeah. like a, a situation where simple pulls it off and he hears and heroic their boost wasn't found out so will they try it again this round or something you know like i don't yeah. know I, I that tilts me personally but to be fair, so so when you're on stage if like you're actually on stage you can't really hear what's being said like the, the okay. way the sound setup was, you couldn't really hear um, what was being pumped through speakers. But obviously, yeah, there there is obviously a competitive integrity issue there, regardless of like what you can or can't hear. Yeah. Um, I just don't believe in using those headsets, to be honest. Sure, like, yeah. I think I think we should just have the regular, like the ones that ESL uses everywhere, um, mm. because using this like kind of test headset, one that's still in development, more or less. For a major is like a little bit sketchy for me. Yeah, it's premature. I'm not a huge fan yeah. of that. And even even so, like apparently the mics are not good on them. They're like mm. not great quality. Um, so I don't know. I think I think we should just stick to what to what we know is I good. Can't believe and works. PGL audio even affects the fucking players now, man. It's over. This is the meme gumbo has grown to a new height now. Unbelievable. Oh. The, the meme that doesn't keep that keeps on giving. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, 
Okay, let's do let's do this. Um, last topic before we get into the Patreon questions. Let's do. What do you guys think is the future of Team Spirit? Do you think Ooh. this team maintains the form that they just showed at the major, or do they fall off like so many have in the past? I want to hear Mahon's thoughts yeah, on this one say, first, yeah. actually. Let's get, Mahon. Let's get Mahon here for this I, one. I honestly have no idea, because, um, you know, it's like, I feel like these guys... It feels like they kind of came out of nowhere, but at the same time, they're they're like playing in like pinnacle cups, like stuff like that. Um, to me, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like this, if this ends up being like a kind of like a Copenhagen Flames situation where it's like they have a really good run at the major and then online they have some shaky results once again. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. I'd like for it to not be though, I'd like for them to actually show that like this is not just a, a fluke. Um, but yeah, I think they have a lot of promising pieces though, because it's like a lot of the guys are pretty young, right? So it's almost like they can continue to kind of grind and they still have Chopper as well, right? So it's like, I think they're, they're still going to be in a good direction moving forward. I don't think they'll be this powerhouse that you see at this major like right away, but they're still going to be pretty good. That That's at least, those are my thoughts. Do you, do you like Mahone? Did you like uh, Spirit for like their structure at all or like how they played Team CS or... Was it mostly the individuals doing it for you? It was a bit of both. I think it was a bit of both. I, you can see that's like with the way they kind of set up like their their defaults and stuff like that, and just like some of the some of the stuff they ran. Like it looked, it looked good, but I was also like the individually individually they they had to make it work right because not every team that just has good tactics is automatically going to be good. Like another another team I think about is like big. You know, they always they're always innovating something, but then it's like individually they're just not good enough to put it together so i think that's probably one of the things that like that looks good for this team is that it looks like they have a bit of both and if you want to be a top team you have to have both yeah i i actually i actually think spirits uh team play was kind of underrated in the yeah. challenger stage uh they they had like really nice kind of layered flashes to get into bomb sites they had some like chopper i think they would probably like drop him a flash plus he had two and then it's like mirage they'd be like one close flash, medium range flash, and like then a kind of a deep flash, and it's like bang, 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 and then literally like you get somebody that's just playing ticket booth, just blind over and over and over again. They'd get so much space. They would uh, on other maps they were trading very well, like while moving around the map. Like you very rarely saw someone for spirit just kind of caught. Like well, you would occasionally, like they they're inexperienced, but like you would rarely kind of see them just feel like the move that they're making is pointless. Like that's that's something that stood out to me where it's like when I look at a team like Spirit, I feel like I'm just gonna see a dude like Patsy just wandering around and just like, what the hell are you even doing? Like what why are you trying to even take this space? Your team's not ready for you. But I felt like that just didn't happen very often. Like uh when he would go up cat with like the layered kind of mid-take that he would go do with uh Copper, like it felt like the way he was moving up was like, you know, just always kind of supported enough by his teammates where it wasn't like bro like you need to chill like sometimes you just feel that with young players like relax but i really felt felt like i caught myself saying that with them which was really welcoming but then also when you watch the furious series where they took him out in the quarters like spirit were just winning every 50 50 yeah. fight like yeah. no question about it and and literally case i talked to case after that and he was just shook he was like 
she's like that team is that team is winning the major like that that was <laughs> kind of like that was unbelievable like what the like he's kind of like he's kind of like this game is just like he's like the skill gap is so small now kind of thing or like there's no like there's no skill gap anyway i forgot what how he worded it exactly but he was just blown away by the individuals there and just how they played cs and he thought they were really a very strong opponent which i mean if you lose to someone it's good that you obviously don't just think it's your own fault but like he he was like yeah they're freaking they're devastating so yeah i just i just love how they all got fired up after art said in the pregame interview yeah. that they got lucky well, yeah yeah same, i mean that was, that, was, that was pretty sick i yeah. like that i'm glad art just says stuff like that you know yeah. i'm kind of dude I, I i props to simple i guess for being a little humble but also like when he was like our blade or was like oh no i think they're a very good team and we should take them very seriously it's like <laughs> <laughs> don't tell no me that. Don't no say one. that. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. We need more of that trash talk. Like we need yeah, more I, I people love, like art basically, for sure. Yeah, I love when art trash talks. I love when people have to eat their words or or they just like they deliver on what they said. Like it's just it just leads to more uh WWE play it all up factor, you know. You don't want to hear I don't know. It, it's, just, it's just so boring for everybody to be we're very well-rounded and like holistic yeah. about their, well, their I, word choice. I also think that maybe after Art got dismantled 0-2 to the team that he said got lucky, <laughs> people were probably like, maybe I shouldn't tempt fate by, by shit-talking <laughs> yeah. my opponents right before they're about to play me. I don't know. Maybe now that Kerrigan won his major, the next time he's at uh, one of these big LAN events and somebody pulls him for a stage interview, maybe then he'll shit-talk a bit. Maybe he'll get a, have a little fun with it, but... Uh, he seems to be more of the kind of guy who's just like looking to the crowd and doing crazy crowd work stuff, which is also cool. But like, yeah, we we definitely could could benefit from a little bit more garbage uh, coming out of players' mouths. Like, that's one of the reasons why I don't mind Kadian on the stage at all. Like, I think it's fine if it's it's pretty funny when he's got the the like the most crazy polarizing reactions of all time for a CS player. So to, to go back yeah. to your original point, Alex, uh, I think this team. I, they definitely hit their stride this major. I don't know if they'll necessarily stay at the exact yeah. level they had this major uh, immediately. Like they might drop off a little bit, but in general, I think the the pieces on this team work really well together. Like role wise, they all fit really well. I think they they have a really really good core between Dexter, Patsy, and like you honestly could interchange Siren or Magus there. Like they're they're. The, the way they play just works really well off of each other. The way Patsy was playing during this event is what I'm going to kind of keep an eye out for going forward. Because I think Dexter individually is just a very talented player. Obviously, they all are. But, like, Dexter can maintain that level. Like, he's shown he can maintain that level already. Whereas other players, we don't necessarily know whether they can, like, whether they just, like, really peaked at this major or if they can consistently perform to that level. Yeah. If they can then I think this team will definitely, like, they, they will consistently just continue getting better and be, like, start... If they obviously get invites to big events, that's the big thing for me, is that they need to be able to kind of stay where they are in the rankings to keep getting invites to big events because they're not yeah. a partner team anywhere. Uh, but if they can do that, then I'm actually kind of pretty sold on them just watching them play at this major and the the amount of work that they put in to, to consistently... Uh, get better even during the event was pretty respectable. Like, I really did like it. Also, Patsy kind of made me feel like I was watching Config at times. Like, yeah. if you took away the nameplate, some of the ways that he was running out on Ancient, running out on Mirage, I was like, am, am I watching Config right now? Like, the, the confidence that he has in taking aim duels versus some of the best players in the world for such a young player is kind of, like, I really respect that. 
Yeah. It was really yeah, cool, totally... I think, to see that. Uh, so when, like, when you looked at this roster, when you looked at Team Spirit somehow making it like three zero over Copenhagen Flames in that last match, I was I wrote these guys off. I was like, "There's listen, like, okay, congrats, you made, you like got lucky," like Art said, right? And so I was actually with Art when he said that, even though obviously we know <laughs> what happened since then. But yeah, the thing about Spirit to me is that like they made that side of the bracket in the playoffs look like it was the harder side to me. Like heroic was obviously a, a challenge for Navi, but we always knew the ends Copenhagen uh, quarterfinals was going to go one way. Like every, pretty much everybody yeah, I know predicted I think that was the most lopsided. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And then ends obviously kind of collapsed against Navi. Like, the way that Spirit came to these matches, it made Phase's playoff, like grand finals run, their path to get to the finals. That looked harder than what Navi had to put up with. You know, they had to, obviously, Nip came to play and they took him to three maps. The only team in the playoffs to, to take a, a map off of them, in fact. And so, like, that was surprising. And then the fact that Team Spirit didn't turn back into the pumpkin and they gave it their all every single time. That's the, that's yeah. the I think, the really cool aspect of this whole story for Spirit. And so, yeah, I think... You know, it all it all comes down to what they do next, but the fact that they really legitimized their run here um, after maybe a streaky uh, what was it legend stage into the champion stage that that's yeah. really what was really exciting to me and uh, what makes me believe that this team has it what it takes because I don't think they can just get anti stratted and found out that way. I think that you have to you have to come to play with individual skill and with confidence and with swagger and these sort of intangibles that. And let's be frank, a lot of other teams lack in the space. Like only tier one teams have those characteristics. So I think Team Spirit are here to stay. I, I'm going to put one thing forward that might make people into spirit doubters, though. Okay. This team barely made it through the RMR, by the way. Like they, the, they were Owen, they were one and two, and then they had to beat Endpoint, and then they had to beat Anonymo, and the Anonymo series that they played went to uh went to three maps and they only won one of the maps 16 14 like it it's like they could have e this wasn't a convincing run for spirit to to get here in like in that portion of this tournament and that's i don't it's so that's why i think they're just like a high variance team which i think okay. people are kind of leaning towards like you want to be a high variance team but like if and another thing that I, i'm concerned about is the fact that dexter did say when i asked him like Everybody has over 100 hours past two weeks, and he had 180. I know Dexter can maintain that because he's always had over like 100x hours per per two weeks. But like, I don't know if Patsy or Siren or Chopper or Magics are all gonna always be bringing that sort of effort in, especially when you start going to like online tournaments again. Yeah. And I think it's gonna be really telling for Spirit very quickly if they're going to pull the Copenhagen Flames route, like without the Actually, Copenhagen Flames kind of redeemed themselves because they actually made the playoffs of this major, but in a way, like, the whole just downturn after the major. I feel yeah. like that's going to hit this team really hard. And I, you know, I, I, I mean, want to believe believe in the fairy tale continuing too, but I actually do think, like, they're going to, they're probably not going to have what it takes to, like, keep keep up what they're doing now and maintain, like, top 10 status for, like, three months from now, I think they're easily out of the top 10. Yeah. For spirit, you mean, right? Yeah, for spirit. For spirit. I think yeah. they'll at least they'll have a higher floor than Copenhagen Flames did, though. I think that's the. I think mm -hmm. that would be the difference for me because it's like it almost felt like Copenhagen Flames at the last major. It's almost like they just went back to like where they were. <laughs> but I think Spirit is going to be a bit better than that. I think they will have a higher a higher floor. They're just probably yeah. not going to hit that ceiling. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's kind of a okay. That's like a more that's a more positive spin on it. I'll put it like this: in three months' time, I think Spirit will be one rank above Big. <laughs> like it'll be like this it'll be like it'll be like spirit will be like 13th and big will be 14th <laughs> what is this prediction this is like the most specific specific ranking prediction ever yeah yeah i don't know man. uh big got a, okay. a surprise invite to dallas so they have I know, opportunities to grind what, for points man they can, see, they can come in this is why when i threw out my prediction it wasn't just because of the roster big had it's because they have so many chances like they're always going to be a partner team in both of the big leagues and they're also just going to get random invites to things so they're eventually just going to win some bo3s and shoot up to like a top seven top eight team that's just that's just it's inevitable it's inevitable you guys are just going to be witness to it and everybody's going to be like wow you're like people are going to think i made a claim that was like about the quality of this big roster no it's mostly <laughs> just the fact that when you're a partner team you will eventually just get it together for for one run so that's that's it um sorry big fans but that's the reality of it let's get into patreon questions so we can begin to wrap this show up three questions this time do you have the first one up pranogo it is on your screens Okay, sweet. So the first question is Slumpness Monster, and he wrote this question before the Major, uh, which you guys will obviously figure out, but if FaZe wins the Major, will Twist become the NA GOAT in your eyes? And so I think we obviously spin this to, is he the NA GOAT now that he's won the Major? Uh, I would I would put it like this. The first thing I would say immediately is that if he won the Major MVP, I think you almost surely yes. put him there. But I think because he had a slightly more... Uh, so not that he was bad, but he had like a slightly more supportive role to their to their run there, and wasn't was he like a top, was he like third highest or fourth highest rated performer? I think you kind of have to like the question the debate's still out there because of what like you, you, the people you can pit him against in terms of raw achievements is just Stewie right now, Grand Slam winners yes. and major winners. So it, it's those two, and with. With the recency bias in place, you would definitely lean towards Twist having that. But would you, would you guys take Stewie right now, or would you take Twist? Or even is there a third, like a Naf or a Leash, that uh, is there for you? So I would take Twist right now purely because of the role change and the kind of shift that he's had as an individual. To actually go from being a player that takes up star space that is so individually talented and win as he did before and then take that step down to kind of playing as playing second fiddle to some other players on this roster. I think that that puts him just a little bit above Stewie for me. Obviously, yes, Stewie has a major win, but the fact that Twist doesn't have like the, I don't want to say the ego, but like the, he doesn't have the, the, he doesn't have the touch of shit where he basically touched like the teams that Suey's touched in the past <laughs> year have just gone to crap. Like, that's, like that's yeah, sure. I'll use your words for that. Yeah, like he hasn't um, ruined. Twist hasn't ruined any teams. You, you, heard a, you heard of King Midas? Here's King Stewie. What the fuck's touch of shit? Okay. Yeah. I, right. So, so that's why I think I put him a little bit above. Obviously, like, yeah, I think I think for me individually, Stewie had like that period where he was playing really well, but Twist just has, like, more credit to him for what he's done, I think. Like, I, I don't think you can really... Uh, with with the major win, I think that that puts him above Stewie for me. 
Yeah, for me, it's like, so Stewie obviously has the same sort of Grand Slam plus uh, major W. Yes. But Stewie also wasn't IGLing during the major campaign for Cloud9. And that that's significant to me because that's what he's made his like legacy out of now is that he was the IGL and he's like the most accomplished NA IGL or whatever. But um it, but it wasn't even, even then, IGLing for the Grand Slam. Yeah, I know. So. That's the thing. Is like he's what he's tried to. I think a lot of people are now trying to rate Stewie as an IGL, but that's not where he got any of his accomplishments, right? And so, for me, like Twists has his accomplishments mostly as like a rifler, maybe not a star as much of a star, uh, maybe a second star on phase as opposed to a primary. Um, yeah. Just because of the way that that roster is is put together, but I don't know. Like th- there is something about Twists that I think like you almost. It's very tempting, at least, for me to discount a lot of what Stewie has done since the, his accomplishments, whereas Twist is obviously more recent. And I don't know how much of that is recency bias and can be dismissed as such, versus how much of that is just that, like, the more competitive you get, like, the the deeper into a game's running time, the harder it is to have these accomplishments in the first place. And that's why I think Twist is more, like, significant to me. Is that You also have to remember he's on a, a roster which... Okay, they're all speaking his native language, but that's still like a very different culture shift. That we didn't even touch that phase. Obviously, won it as the first international team to ever win a major. But like the all mixed nationalities, like they don't have nearly as much overlap. The only overlap they have is based on the fact that they've all been playing for so long. Besides Brokey, that everybody on that roster like has seen has played against each other at some point in time, played with each other to a lesser extent with Kerrigan and and Rain, obviously Kerrigan and Rops, but. Like that's that's the thing that's really impressive to me is that Twists went to Europe and did what very few NA pros have ever done, you know, and that to me is like what sets him apart. So I, th- I think he is the goat from NA. The I would give a shout out to Elige based on his form, based on his his mechanical skill. But again, if you're going to be using accomplishments as one of the primary metrics, then he only has the Grand Slam, right? So that that is something that you got to consider too. Okay, yeah, Mahone, what do you I what do you got on this? I think Twist is clearly the GOAT of NA. And the reason why I think that is because, um, for one, his uh, Grand Slam and major winning titles, like they're, they're, the team that he was on, they were actually the best team at the time. When Stewie won it with Cloud9, it was more so a fluke. Another thing as well is that with Twist, <laughs> he's actually, <laughs> with Twist, he's actually, um, he's actually been like a top 20 player on HLTV multiple years. Stewie, I don't even think he's been it even one time. So I think just those two things in combined just make him very clearly, at least in my eyes, the uh, the clear favorite. And also because he's Canadian too. <laughs> I was gonna say it earlier too because he's literally <laughs> from Vancouver. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that I actually just think Twist is straight up the best NA has produced. Uh, like the main the main indictment against Stewie is basically like you can't really have this legacy of being the goat right now with the fact that he was like the fourth best player on that roster that won the grand slam. And even with the major, like, yeah, he was like a secondary caller, but he was like the third, like again, like the fourth best player on the major winning team. On top of that, like skadoodle automatic and Tarek all outperformed him. I think I don't, I think rush, even Rush might have. I don't really remember well enough to even tell you off the top of my head. But like, like Suey's moment with New Box Inferno cements him into our minds more. But it doesn't like necessarily carry over to like what he did in the grand scheme of all the rounds. I I think that I think that Suey is kind of becoming a little bit like the recency bias for how 
bad Stewie's performances have been individually kind of like shrouds the fact and yeah. not not trying to bring up shroud at all but like he, he kind of he has kind of like veiled the fact that stewie actually was a pretty solid contributing member of the grand slam and, and major run but it, it's just like it's just like we now have this idea of him in our mind that's like he's like a really crappy caller that just like hasn't gotten these rosters to work and he's been paycheck stealing he's somebody say and like it's it just like really put a sour note on everything that he's yeah. done for for na lately which is which is pretty poor for his legacy but i i still think like people do hold him in very high regard if you look at the like if you look at a more objective uh and holistic view view of everything that stewie has put forward yeah like you can't really discount it it's just that it's been just bad lately so yeah i'm gonna agree i'm gonna agree that i think uh with mahone that i think it's it's clearly twist right now is the best of all time i think like the only people that could kind of contest this in the near future are like Elysian now simultaneously if liquid power up. Yeah. But like, like it's weird to say goat just because like, it feels like he's only done this for a little bit, but like, honestly with any's limited success he probably just is now he probably is just the goat. <laughs> like, um, like it's been like what three, four ish year, three, four ish years at the top for twist on like the liquid run, the downturn of that. And then like the phase ramp up, like he was very much a solid contributing member of phase when they first inducted it, him into the lineup, but they, uh, they didn't, I mean, but they didn't really win anything with that, with him on there. But now all of that is forgotten because he's also one game away, one tournament away from winning a second grand slam. If he wins a second grand slam, there is no question in anybody's mind that he is the best NA has ever produced. Uh, okay. I think that answers adequately that question. Actually, actually there's one thing I wanted to touch on that like based off of what Pernogo said with this international part okay. of phase. Um, this is just a point I wanted to put forward because it's something I've brought up in like another podcast a couple weeks ago was that I think that we're starting to reach what I would call like the second generation of, of international rosters. We're kind of at first, it was like you, you kind of like had these ones that were sort of feeling it out. But I think now with the basically the structure of FPL being an American, not American, an English speaking platform and so many people coming up in the ranks through that, that actually at this point, I think nearly everybody that's kind of been playing in that system for a while is good enough at English that it's it shouldn't have it, there shouldn't be that much of a learning curve for people to get integrated into an international lineup like look at ents right now like we don't even really talk about them we we didn't really touch on them um which is probably my fault as a host but the fact is that they're an international team too g2 is an international team uh there's mo- many a few teams right now that are yes. really close to being like a top tier team and they're international and in fact if you look at uh, the, the top ten on HLTV right now, it's it's pretty darn close to like international to uh not international representation. Like you have Phase, you have Ents, you have G two, you have Vitality. So four out of the top six, ten teams, like so forty percent of them are speaking second languages for the most part. So I don't think like. That thing that Sponge posed a while back about like it's just really tough to speak your second language. I think that's like evolved enough. We've we've evolved enough as a community since then that it's become and it's become globalized enough that you're gonna. I think we're gonna start seeing way less uh, domestic lineups. Like it, it's just like you'll still see them, but they're just not gonna. It's not like a a, necess- a necessity to be a top tier team to speak in your first language anymore. Yeah, I don't I know if you guys have any opinions on that. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. It seems like it's just, you're leaving too much scale on the table to worry about team cohesion the whole way through. Like team cohesion obviously plays a pretty massive part. We were just talking about vitality and that seems to be one of the biggest stumbling blocks for them. And it is in many ways down to the fact that we speculate anyway, they're speaking a second language. That's probably the main reason. But once you get past that hurdle, there, you, the world literally opens up to you as far as like potential stars go, as far as, you know, potential callers who bring something like what Alexa B brings to G2 or like Carrigan brings to FaZe would be a more obvious topical example that would sell people on the idea. And it's like, you can't get this, but you could get this if you wanted to bring a Danish only roster and then invite Kerrigan to your team. But that's just, then you have to somehow out frag and like pr present a roster that outstars Rops and Brokey and Twists and Rain. Like, yeah. I don't know if you're going to be able to do that with a, like a, any particular country only lineup, you know? So yeah, like you're saying, Maui, domestic lineups seem like they're on their way out. Yeah, I think it's like a great way to come up in the scene with a domestic lineup, but then I think you have to like very quickly, if you want to be the best version of yourself, you kind of just need to learn English to, so that you your options open up for you. Um, okay, let's go to the next patron question. Unless, unless Mahone, do you have any ideas about behind that? No, you good? Okay, then let's go to Zach's patron question. Is it time for a map rotation after this major? If so, what map would you like to see rotated out? Uh, let's, okay, well, how about Mahone? What do you, how about you take that one? Uh, yeah, I think it is time, but what I'd like to see is I want two maps taken out instead of just one. Yeah. The reason why is because a lot of teams, all they do is just swap their perma band to whatever the newest map is. I want to see them actually get tested when there's two new maps in the pool so that, you know, they can't do this. That that's ultimately what I'd want to see. It doesn't really even matter which maps they are just that two of them get swapped out. Yeah, I think that was, uh, what Moses proposed on like a counterpoints like five, six years ago. And I think that's actually just stuck, stuck with me and a lot of people as just being like the best idea possible. <laughs> like, like just, just get, just do a two, two map rotation in out every, every major or every other major, whatever it is, you know, just, just like, so, well, what, what maps, what maps though would you want? Huskin, just cause I there see it, came out. it looks, it looks nice. It looks nice. And, um, I don't know about the other one yet, actually. But in terms of like what maps I'd want swapped out, though, I I kind of want to see Vertigo swapped out. Yes, good based. Yeah, just because it seems so. It kind of seems like the meta's dried up a little bit. Like there's yeah. still a couple new things that come out, but it's just like when you compare it to other maps, it's just it's just still the same when you look at it, uh, even from a year ago. So probably Vertigo, and the second one would be. Personally, I want to say Mirage just because it's been there forever, but that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, the play rate is too high. But if you want, it, if you want it, that's your opinion. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'd say. Vertigo and Mirage. That's what I'd like to see swapped out as two. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you said Vertigo because I'm just going to piggyback off that. I think that just narrating or talking about or even breaking down a game of Vertigo after the fact is one of the most boring ways. Like you, you like other than I would literally say like your segments on blast where you talked about like, I think it was like, was it Roy or somebody you had like a, you showed yeah. there that like the close, the lurk smoke that people throw, like the naphany smoke people call it, some people call mm -hmm. it. Um, and then playing around that sort of one way, like, oh God, like it's so hard to talk about things on vertigo in a post game segment without like incredible replays or incredible, like just specific weatherman type type segments, because it's like, 
like on on Mirage, I can I can tell you what happened in a game of Mirage very like very strongly, and I think I can use vivid language with it. But with Vertigo, it is almost the same thing every time. The main twist I would put on like the spin of how I break down a Vertigo game is like, hey, they actually use middle. <laughs> hey, they actually went B six times on T side, and they were winning the default towards B because when they boosted that guy, uh, they he got entries. You know, it's just shit like that, and it's just like it's not fun to talk about that stuff. And I think also Wonders not even fun said, to watch in general. It's not really that fun to watch because it's just it's just too visually repetitive. Uh, and and like Launders, I think has said this too that basically like the one time he like has to fake excitement the most when he's casting is pretending it's exciting to watch dudes spam people through ramp smokes. Like it's just not fun. Like it's just not interactive Counter Strike because the CTs are so advantaged in the fact that they have a silenced gun that doesn't have tracers and. It's just like you can just spam all your bullets and it's like it's like when you really look close at the demo, it's like, yeah, it's cool how they procedurally clear certain things in the smoke. But to a layman and to me as a fan, I don't really think that's that exciting. That just like, whoa, got a smoke kill like whoop whoopee like that just feels like like that feels to me. People complain about dust, too, because of the mid shot. At least the mid shot is a reaction time and like just how like how you can traject like the trajectory of their jump through the double doors. It, there's more skill in that than shooting through smokes at ramp. Like there's it's literally just like why are people excited about that? It sucks. It sucks to watch. Like a dust two flick is sick as hell. Like don't get me wrong. It's like the first thing anybody realizes about about Counter-Strike is like, holy shit, he just killed him on the cross. Like, it's still viscerally, like, there's a reaction there to someone getting that shot, but it's just not that cool to shoot through a ramp. It's just not, man. It sucks. Okay, Noden, Noden, Pernogo. I'll finish my ramp. That's my, I, that's my ramp. I, I think I agree with taking out two maps and swapping two in. I think, okay. especially with the fact that we have two majors a year, it seems like the best time to do it is after one of them. And for now, I think we've had two majors with this current map pool as it is. So I think it's definitely time to be able to like make some changes. Um, for me, I think it'd be cool to see... Okay, Tuscan is definitely one that I think would be fun to add in. It might need some more play time, but obviously like the way that CS pros work is that they won't play a map unless it's in the pool. So like just, yep. just add it in. Just literally just add yeah. it in. Yeah. <laughs> like, force them on. Force Even them most to play casual it. fans won't <laughs> like, do it until it's in the ro in the rotation. Yeah, exactly. Um so br bring that in. Uh I saw people mentioning train in the chat, but man, with the current CT side meta it's oh, gonna yeah. be it's gonna be so much worse than nuke is it's i, I don't know if i want to see train in right now uh it could be fun um damn where where was i going with that i had the i had the map in mind and now i totally lost it um was it another it could one be fun of to see maps well something? yeah it could be fun to see cash come in actually only because that map was T-sided towards the end of its lifespan. Oh, yeah, it was T-sided, um, yeah, that's true. So I think it'd be fun to see how that evolves. The problem is, is I don't think that there's much innovation on the map to be had. Like, cool, they added a window in middle, and that's basically it. And Squeaky is like a like, little 
it's just like slightly different it's not really even any different not really yeah and then basically everything else minus a lamp posted you can stand on true and then there's like the truck angle from into like a site and that's that's like basically it like otherwise not much changed on the map at all so i don't know if like i just really think it would i i just don't think it would be that like that much more interesting than it was before so I like the idea of adding Tuscan in. I don't know what other map you bring in. Like, you could try Train, you could try Cash, you could try, like, I don't know, a new map. Um, but I agree with the concept of taking out two maps. Vertigo, definitely one of them. Dust 2 would be my other one, because I just don't enjoy watching it that much. Like, oh, cool, you have a team rushing long, or you go lower to Cat, or you go lower to B. Wow, this is, this is a lot of fun to, to watch. Yeah. Um, so no more diversity in the playbook than Vertigo, though. That is true. That is true. <laughs> you can do three things instead of two. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think in general that's sort of where I'm at. I don't know what other map you add in other than Tuscan. I think if you're gonna do two maps, you do something like Tuscan, like a map that hasn't really been in the pool that's unfamiliar, and then add in a map that is kind of a little more familiar, but has had like a remake, like a cache or a train or, um, I don't know, some other map like cobble, maybe re they need to re remake cobble though. Wait, yeah. here's the thing. If they bring back cobble, that map was so insanely T-sided. So could be, could be good actually. I like watching. How about we just fix the meta so it's not ridiculous, <laughs> and then we don't need to worry about the maps being T sided or not. The fun thing about Cobble, I think, is that I actually it basically took away defaulting. It kind of just became a like a an exec or like like a like a play, set play type of map in in some of the meta of it, where it was like like the only defaulting you'd really do is kind of towards a where they yeah. you, you sometimes want to push them back at a but at b you basically have all the space i guess there's like a little bit of a plat fight you would do or like sometimes a drop little like pe- CT, cts that did shit at drop would like die most of the time but like they would try it once per half or once per three halves you know like they would do something but uh i think I think yeah, I think I think cobble just the old version of cobble like don't just, just fucking just the same thing like it doesn't even need it like give it a facelift but just keep keep like the whole dynamic of the map the same and I'm okay with that actually because people uh, need more dragon lores honestly that's the thing true once uh, once um, NIP brought in those smokes that you throw from T spawn yeah uh, to insta execute on B like it just turned into like rush plat rush drop like. Oh, yeah. It became very, very B heavy, but I kind of like it. Like there's, there's like maps that kind of change. I felt like I never got bored watching Cobble because it was like always pretty fast paced, like regardless of where teams were playing. Even on the A defaults, like you get contact relatively early almost every time because the players are playing so deep into A so that they can rotate. Um, so I think I, that was just generally like fun. I don't know how well it would work in the current meta with the way teams play, but I think like you got to try something, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think that um, something I liked about Cobble is A retakes were always pretty fun to watch. Uh, I don't think B retakes were that exciting, but A retakes were like, it kind of has this like tic-tac-toe kind of ABC sort of flow to it, like on B-side Inferno, where it's kind of like, this is a tough retake, 
but you can make it happen with like just good trading and spacing and like sometimes I don't know like I think CS was probably a little lower quality back then but yeah. so maybe the retakes actually wouldn't be that easy nowadays like people would just figure something out that's just way too strong but <laughs> I think I think that I think that it did lead to some pretty exciting games overall. Yeah. Well, the so problem with the retakes is that in this meta, in this economy, you would just be seeing, wow, A saves are really cool. Those are yeah. very exciting. <laughs> so you wouldn't yeah, really see the retakes. That's one problem. Thing, yeah. I guess the thing is you're so close to it already and you're going to probably have that space that you're not really worried about the rotation time that much, which would probably, you know, you would probably think that this is more doable because you can get there so quickly and you have so much forewarning. Um I'm sorry, way. I just, I just saw someone in chat. I want to see Jame in the tower saving in a 4v5. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's not bad. That tower was that. built for him specifically. Yeah, so. actually. That's not bad. I don't know. I feel uh, last... okay. Listen, oh, yeah, I'll just say it. this has to be Valve's apology tour. Ancient and Vertigo are disasters and need to be removed from the game as soon as possible. We already touched on Vertigo. Ancient is actually the same thing as Vertigo at launch, where you always go to one bomb site, except for the one or two rounds on T side where you go to the other bomb site. And nobody like you use middle, but only one aspect of middle, and it's just a mess. Like at this point. They had so many opportunities like Ancient and, and Vertigo are like the cloud nine of the actual map pool where it's like you guys have had years. You could have done something, but you didn't just get this out. Just make a change. Hey, please. I, I kind of disagree. I like watching Ancient now. I don't know. I like what watching kind of and playing Ancient. Pills. How? Like what is even interesting? I, it's just the same. It's instead of spamming smokes, you're spamming walls. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry. I thought I could plant here. I guess not. Bye. Yeah, I personally really hate cave the cave entrance interactions i really just like that sort of shit doesn't really spark joy for me uh so i would marie condo that out of there but uh, i think i think you could definitely like make a change or two to ancient to make it more exciting but i don't think it's even close to the same level as boring as vertigo is yeah i like it more like than i vertigo, wouldn't i sure. wouldn't put those yeah. two on the same level at all just think about how banging this major could have been if we didn't have maps that we were comparing to Vertigo, though. Like, th this is the other thing that occurred to me, is, like, this meta is really bad, actually, and yet we still got banger games. Like, Valve is holding this game back so much just by, like, having this terrible meta and these terrible maps. And if you could imagine a Valve Apology Tour where they take out their two latest offerings that were not great... And they put in maybe Tuscan. I'll shout out some custom maps for you guys. Anubis, Iris, Sub-Zero. These maps have depth to them. That they are, You could already find smoke lineup videos on them and shit when they were initially put into the game. They've had their time in like the reserve duty pool or whatever. So players are somewhat familiar with them. Like it wouldn't really be that much of a stretch. Uh, some people were shouting out Abby earlier. I could see that one as well. Like there's there are maps from the community that you guarantee people would still be interested in maintaining that people who, who with ideas who have had a track record like FM Pone, for example, have built maps that have been played competitively. Like we could, we could do something better than we could deal with something better than what we have. And we don't have that. And that's sad. So I hope this Rio major at least has good maps. I would like one switch map. Yeah. I was going to say one final point actually, or at least for me, uh, when you guys are talking about the cash and cobble, I would like to just see those like versions come back the way they are like even the old cash and the reason why is because i feel like with the teams the way they are now with how tactical the game has become i want to see like all the new innovation that teams have for maps that were played like three four years ago because if we even look at some of the maps today like mirage or uh, inferno like there's still like new stuff being found and i want to see like 
all the learnings that we've taken from those maps applied to these older ones to see like where does this map actually go because we didn't figure it out or we didn't have too much back in 2016 2017 but what does it look like in 2022 like what do these teams actually have in store mm. that's what i'd like to see you basically never play on b-site cash because you're gonna get five molly yeah there's that and also in the day too so you know i think it's it's hard to say like uh, i think it's like more like um like i think the squeaky door a main interaction probably feels very different nowadays like i feel like there'd probably be way more fighting way more like flash control and stuff like that where the teams wouldn't find it that easy to just like come up on it i don't think the t's would find space that easily because think of how you'd get mid control you'd cross smoke and then you just get smoke spammed by an A1X. <laughs> they would just be at like little the the ice cube or sugar cube box. I forgot what people even call that box. Now I that's white a box, European right? white box. White yeah, box, white box. Yeah. And and people would just spam from white box right into the entrance there. Yes. And that was Blade, already Blade wants to know your location. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then and then Glaive would just radar hack his way to uh, <laughs> to see people. Wrong yeah. Danish IGL, bro. Come on. Didn't he wait? Who did? Didn't he do that? Wasn't yeah, Glaive did it all the time. Yeah, for the smoke. Oh, the radar glitch. You mean? Well, radar yeah. radar hack was bird from the sky. If you guys remember, that was a few episodes <laughs> oh, ago. Oh my god! Oh, no. According no, to unfounded, unfounded, yeah, yeah, yeah. unfounded. Allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. Moving on to unfounded. <laughs> okay, unfounded. <laughs> Our uh, next Patreon last, question. Last last Patreon question is from Fursock, and he said, "Did Ultra cheat?" So I don't. I'll give context to who this guy is because he's an NA. He was like an NA pug star that would always have like fifteen RWS every ESCA month. He was like incredibly nasty with a rifle. Had like one of the highest headshot percentages always on the ESCA leaderboards. I coached him briefly on what was like the aftermath of Space Station, and I'll tell you from watching him play on those teams that like probably not. But, like, did you guys have any interactions with this guy? No, I only ever heard about him from other people saying that oh, this guy is just insane. That, like, like there's no way this guy is not cheating because of how good he is. Honestly, I've never actually really seen him play, so I, I can't really comment. Mm-hmm. Same for me. I, I heard a lot of people talk about him and say basically the same thing, but I never watched him play. Okay, well, then I'll, I'll just continue with more stuff is that with... Ultra, now known as Raw Raw, by the way, in the Valorant scene, he he uh, kind of had this thing where he like the reason people were suspicious, extra suspicious, is because he never really would go to lands, even if it was kind of in his area. Because I'll just like I don't want to dox him, but I'll just say he probably lived like mid. I think he lived like Midwest area, and he like even if a land was fifty within fifty miles of him, he wouldn't go to it um for whatever dumb reason and so people were kind of like why don't you go to the land and you know i think i think there's like some justification for like why people believe that someone's cheating if they don't go but i also think that people just have social anxieties and they probably don't want to go to it unless they like are for sure getting paid or like really like want to go to the i don't know like like unless you really think you're going to win the land sometimes some people just are like i don't want to spend my money on an entrance fee and like maybe lose right and maybe he doesn't want to be, uh, maybe he's just nervous about competing in general at, at that kind of event and meeting and, all these people. And then you have Exotic. Well, that's different. That's very different. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't even it. put them, yeah, I wouldn't put them in the same breath in that. In no, I'm not, that's stuff. the thing. Yeah. And, and with Raw Raw now, with Ultra, he hasn't played professional Valorant for a while, but like he was on 
T1 Academy, and then he he was like on trial for Dignitas, and then he got on Dignitas full time, and now he's not playing, and he hasn't played for a year with any pro teams, but he like streams very regularly on Twitch, Valorant, which we know has the most invasive anti-cheat possible, and he's not been banned, so I think like it's fair to say, and he has lots of nutty clips, like really so many. If you go to his Twitch channel and just go to clips of like the last month, it probably has like seven that are just unbelievable in terms of how good his aim is. So I don't think he's cheating personally um, because when I even watched him and when I was coaching him, uh, like his game sense wasn't always that perfect. It's just like if he's in a 50-50 aim duel with somebody, he's going to win it all the time because it felt like like kind of Nico-esque where it's like his crosser placement was always just very freaking good and then his micro adjustments were very good on top of that. So if some he's players, not looking the right way, he's going to die. Some players are just like that too. Like they yeah. look absolutely insane mechanically and like if you don't know, like if you'd ever see them play land, then you're just like, uh, they're hella suspicious. Like so for for example, like I played with Pug back at like before he played in a, like in any of these teams that like, we played in season 20... Who? Pug. Who's on Davenport right now, like the in-game leader of Davenport? Um, okay. But like back then, when we played our first season, there were times where I literally was looking at MDN and Stronglegs, and I'm like, dude, is, is this guy cheating? Like the way his, the way he like mechanically adjusted on certain duels, and like the the way his like a, a, the way he like aimed and shit. Sometimes I was like, wow, this is this guy's either like insanely fucking mechanically talented and will be like in premiere in no time. Or he's like cheating in some way. Yeah. But then I kept watching him and I like listened to his comms and I was like, no, this guy's actually just like genuinely good. And he obviously like he's made a name for himself now with Davenport. He's the IGL of the team. But before then, he was just like mechanically really, really cracked and he still is. Played lands, same performances and whatnot. So I think like some players do just look like weird online, but. A lot of the time, there's just like there's a lot of people who are mechanically extremely good at, at games. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go to let's let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this baby up. Uh, let's do shoutouts. So at the end of every show, Mahone, if you aren't familiar, we just like you can just shout out anything you want to shout out. You can be a plug for yourself. It could be someone you like. It can be your crush. So shout out, <laughs> Mahone. What's your shout out? Uh, I guess shout out to everybody who has supported me in these last couple of years, you know, from my YouTube channel to me being on NIP and then now doing a bit more broadcast kind of stuff. Really appreciate it. Never really thought that I would have gone to this, even this, 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 where, what I'm doing right now. So uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Okay. Uh, no, what's your shout out? Uh, I'll do two shout outs. One to Mahone for coming on literally last minute, like messaged them two minutes before we were going to go live. Yeah. I'm like, yo, you want to hop on? Uh, so shout out to Mahone for hopping on really last minute. Um, and yeah, I guess second shout out to, to Razor for giving me like a bunch of free shit at the major. Um, oh, yeah. sell out. Okay, nice. Okay. Gotta, gotta sell out at least once, you know? Not <laughs> like I'm going to shout them out every time, but, but gotta give them the, the, you know, thumbs up for that. Okay, Pranogo, what is what is your shout out? 
Well, I was gonna. I was also gonna shout out Mahone for coming in last second. Really helped us out. I'll also say shout out to uh, Crimbo. I'll cut you off to say I'll shout out. I'm shouting out Mahone also for okay. for coming on last minute. It's <laughs> great, great Gus overall. But I, just so I have a, another shout out. Later. <laughs> okay. All right, you can. You I was can gonna shout out Crimbo for the immortal moment that uh, was oh. a few episodes ago. Now I think I don't think we ever gave him a shout out. We literally held his jersey up in front of the camera for a while. So I think that was probably enough of a shout out. But still, cool guy. Uh, handed Maui the jersey in like the middle of the event or something and and that was yeah. how you got one of the mo more epic thumbnails that you'll see if you go back on this channel a few episodes ago yeah um okay and the last thing i will shout out is kind of in nature with what i normally do for my shout outs shout out pgl for putting on what i think was a much better major than the last one i think we complain about a lot of the big flaws in the last major and i think they righted the ship on a lot of those things and you know, also shout out to the comprehensive talent team that was at the major because, guys, look at the difference between last major and this major. Was there any drama? Yes. That's how we're closing the show out. <laughs> <laughs>